don't fart crosswise. Just, just keep things. Just do, just do you, man. Just- you, would, you would think after three years, there's nothing but Zoom calls after a pandemic. We would have had this figured out by now. Well, they obviously they changed something on there because it made me go through all this rigmarole to, to log back in. And then it kept bringing up these pop ups of, you know, new things that they're going to be doing and, you know, new minimum standards that we've got. So they've, they've done something on their end. And whether or not it's seamless yet, I doubt it. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And my, and I, my headphones are still plugged in, but apparently that's not working. But I'm not, I'm not taking them off. So, right. <laughs> I don't, I don't touch anything just keep it going touching anything i'm i'm recording it sounds like it's working so we're gonna find out here at the end we're either gonna have a a a nice private chat or or this is gonna work one or the other (laughs) oh okay so before we even begin so if you see me scratching my head i don't we i don't know what's going on well i guess i do i i know what's going on we've got black flies i was gonna say you got fleas uh, it, well, I wish because you'd see those. I, I don't. Something happened earlier. The noceums or whatever chiggers. But dude, we have black flies right now. Like I've never seen black flies. You know the little tiny black little net, just oh, yeah. that little annoying. I've never seen them like this. Uh, this bad, especially especially now. But it makes sense because there's such low flow in all of the rivers and all the bodies of water especially the side little creeks that there's so much mud and so much stagnant water that i'm i'm assuming that's that's part of the reason why because i'm guessing last fall some of them laid a bunch of eggs and now they're hatching and they're just going gangbusters but it's just brutal so anytime you go out outside it doesn't even matter here in the yard at the horses or horse now the the down in the woods i mean it's just it's brutal and so I was outside a little earlier and I didn't, I mean, I wasn't paying anything. I come back in and like, now my hair is just crawling. I'm like, do I have little baby seed ticks? Like, dude, like what's like, well, something is just crawling in my scalp. So when we're done here, I'm going to be. Now you're you're making me itch. No, right. I I still, I still have snow on the ground at my house. So I I, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, you're going to see me scratching constantly because it just feels like something is crawling around in my scalp. It's it's, it's, just, it's driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take a shower when I'm done. I'm like, just scrub all this out. Either that or shave my hat. Oh, how you been, man? Been good. It's been a few weeks, a couple weeks, right? I don't even remember when the last time we talked. Yeah, no, this is this. We're so we're it's it's been it's been it's been a couple weeks. Let's just put it yeah. that way. It's uh, so it was just kind of interesting, you know. Well, I guess I guess we just pause a minute and let me do the introduction and let me just because I haven't even other than my pup my public post I didn't even people even know what's going on so all right let me do the introduction and then we'll just dive into it. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right, yes, we have been I have been uh, AWOL for the past couple of weeks. Uh, there's been just a bunch of stuff that have come up uh, with the death of a friend of mine's uh, wife. Um, just brutal cancer, same exact stuff that my mom had and died of. And at the literal same time, um, my last horse, the one I, my last little guy that I raised up from a little kid, um, decision had to be made to put him down. And so that's literally what ended up happening. Um, we were, um, so anyway, there, where we are, we're back on with John Legnard. Uh, to finally record our part two discussion of of 
well, bighorn sheep and his hunting conservation and, and dive into actual, maybe maybe today we'll actually dive into some concepts surrounding uh, what we originally wanted to, to tackle anyway. But right about the time that we were getting ready to record that is when all of a sudden I realized that it was, it, it was, it was time for Doc. It, it was done. We were done. So my, my horse has been retired. So people who followed me for a while remember uh, a couple years ago I had to put down uh, Annie. She was my pack packing legend queen. She was, she's my, she was my buddy. And well, my other horse, Doc, they were, Pen, they were pals. I mean, they were buddy. That she, when when I brought Doc in at eighteen months or two years of age, we'd been trying to breed Annie, and she would always throw a double follicle. And anybody knows about horses, you don't want a double follicle. You don't want twins. It's bad for the horse. So we'd always have to terminate it and start over, or you know, or 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 she would just lose it. So when we bought Doc. She just took to him like she was hers, and so they were just buddy buddy. They were ever they were inseparable. And then we had, and then Kelly had her two horses. And over time, it got down to just Annie and Doc, and then Kelly's horse Jack. So when we had to say goodbye to Annie, Doc just took it hard. But at least we had Jack there, and Jack and him were about the same age. They're half brothers. Jack's just a year older. They used to play just roughhouse hard, and I think that's how Jack, or Doc actually got the first injury that had him retired. Regardless, so they were bonded pretty pretty close to Jack, but he had this injury for the past, I don't know, eight years or so, that his front leg was just, his knee was just deteriorating, and it just, there was nothing you could do about it. Um, he, 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 very difficult time walking for a while and we thought about putting him down probably a couple years ago but then all of a sudden that front knee fused and suddenly he was fine like he got it figured out and he was he was making it work on three legs i mean three and a half legs i mean he could he could put weight on it and he'd go and he was happy he was you know he was sharp mentally focused he, he would eat and i mean he there was nothing wrong with him other than he had a sore knee you know so it's like all right well we'll just We'll, we'll let you tell us when it's time, you know, and we've been seeing where it's kind of, you know, been ups and down for a little bit. And then I don't know what happened, but it looks like that. So I think it was that Sunday that we were going to record or I was going to, I don't remember, but um, I went out to down to feed him and I could tell something wasn't right. And I'm like, man, he's like, he's just not moving and he doesn't, he doesn't want to move. And you could just tell his disposition in his head. And we had had the chiropractor, the the equine chiropractor coming out because I figured, well, if he had been rolled around or something on the, you know, on the ground and tweaked his back or something, you know, okay. So he's got a, he's got a tweak muscle, you know, something along those lines. Hell, just give him an adjustment, see what happens and, and see how it goes. And she put any, I mean, she even tried to push down on that hip and I mean, he would just collapse. And so at that point, so it was, it was chronically his right front leg. Now this is his hind, you know, his left hind. Well, you can't, a horse can't operate off of, you know, 50%, especially the opposites. And as soon as she did that and realized what that looked like, I, I mean, it just, it, I mean, you just see his disposition, his whole face structure and just everything. It was like, Oh, like, no, this is this, here it is. Here it is. And it's one of those things where, and you know, I 
got back up the house. I told Kelly, I said, I think it's time. And of course that just starts to wreck you anyway. It's weird how, and I know you've been this down this road too, and like on both sides of this. And that's why it's, I think it's be a good conversation because what we never talked about before, we joked about our first attempt at our at recording at the brewery, but we also didn't talk about what had, had recently happened in your life at that time. Um, and with, with Joe and it's interesting where, you know, you know, you know, the end is coming, you know, and you, you say you're going to plan, you, you say you're going to prepare for it and, and you say you're going to plan for it and you think you got your head wrapped around it, but then at least with an animal, the moment it, it's like, it's weird how there's a cognitive dissonance between you know it's coming someday and you're fine with it. And the moment you make the decision and, and you, you know you have to take the, like, well, for us, we, ha- we have to call the vet. Or whether yeah. you have a dog or something like that and you're like, we need to, we need to make the drive. Or, or have the, like when, like, when you make the decision, I'm killing my best friend, right? And you're like, it's suddenly just, it's just a different world, man. And so it is. I haven't. I haven't experienced horses. I, I feel your pain though, because I mean that's a that's a long, long relationship, a yeah. lot of miles, a lot of time, and a lot of good memories. And that's what you got to take with you. That I've experienced the dog thing on many different levels. I've had young dogs that have had problems. I've had a dog that was 19 years old. Holy that Lord. was more like a cat. Had you know got poisoned by rat poison by a evil neighbor at 11 went in and did the full like ultrasound. Cause we thought she had tumors ended up with like double blood transfusions, vitamin K antidote dogs fine after 48 hours. But like that dog, you're like 11. How much do you want to, how much do you want to do with this dog? And it was a, it was a, a stray from, down down downtown Denver from a stock show escapee got out of some guy's truck. It was a stock dog. That dog could run cattle, could run horses, could run elk. She would herd him up and she only weighed about 40 pounds. But every dog that ever came over to our house after that respected that dog because she was from the streets. Right. But that's one of those like, what do you do? How long do you let it go? I think the difference between people and dogs is you do get to make the choice and it's a hard, hard choice to make, but it never, it's never easy. No. And, and the thing that, that just intrigues me with that, because my Jep is 11 and, and I'm, I'm watching the arthritis already. Cause he's a big, he's 85 pounds. You know, he's is for, you know, he's a bigger lab and, and he's got arthritis in both shoulder joints. And, and you can see he's, he's you're I'm, I'm watching him now of course my mind you know it's been, it was 18 years with with doc um so just get done like making that decision and it's just like your whole world is like yeah and so i'm like i would i would rather just like okay let's just get this done you know like let's just well i call the vet and they can't get to the earliest they can get to us is like at the end of the week so it's like oh shit so like I've got like he's gonna he's gonna be in this state of distress all week, you know. And so we just I just dosed him up with banamine, which is a pretty powerful, you know, 
basically painkill for horses. And he, he kind of picked up and he, he was, he, he still couldn't hardly walk, couldn't hardly move, but it, it definitely helped him feel better. And so like literally I make that decision, call the vet, schedule it. And that just hits you hard. And then I was supposed to meet with my land, one of my landowners, friend, uh, Alan, and then uh, a couple other landowners that, that I'm working with out here that, that same Friday at the exact same time. And I'm like, sorry guys, I can't make it. I've, I'm, I've got, this is what's going on. Not even knowing again, my land friend, his wife was battling cancer, terminal cancer. Um, and I had no idea that the, the previous couple days right before here I'm wrestling with my with the decisions I got to do with Doc Carolyn Passo like that that morning of I'm my I'm making the decision to to put Doc down calling the vet Carolyn passes away and so I get I I send the text out to the group thinking no big deal I'll just bow out of this meeting let you guys handle it Alan Olson text base like nope I'm not making it Carolyn passed I'm like oh. this is a that, great you know. And- yeah, we're having a, this is going to be a deep, dark conversation, but I don't think you and I are unique in the world of this. And I think how you handle it, you either, you know, bottle it up, don't talk about it. Or, you know, in that case, it sounds like that's a ranch guy, a farm guy. And he's like, matter of fact, like, yep, Carol passed away and you feel horrible, but like right. life goes on. And that, that to me is the hardest part. Like life going on without some of these people is really difficult. Not a day goes by that I don't go, oh, I should have called Joe. I could, I would have told him this, or I saw something today and I, I'd send him a text or, you know, and so that's been tough for me. You know, it's been just over a year since he passed away, but you know, he was 46 years old, active as could be mountain biker, ski patroller, road biker. And he had literally, I looked back at our text one day and he had hiked from the top of birth and pass to his house in winter park, 12 miles in one day, five weeks later, laying in the hospital with eight brain tumors and not a, not a hint that that was even going to happen just five or six weeks earlier. And so then you, you know, you go into the triage, you go into what do you, what can you do? How can you fix this? Is this curable? And really, I mean, that's when, that's when things kick into overdrive. And I'm sure you saw the same thing with your mom. I'm sure, you know, everybody goes through that. Like, what, what can I do? How can I, you can't fix it. And that's, you know, this was stage four lung cancer that had metastasized and spread throughout his body. He had liver, liver problems, cancer in the stomach, cancer in his brain. Like he had, it was a riddle sale. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of those things you're like, what do you, what do you do with that? And that was, you know, August of 2020. And if you recall, this was the height of pandemic paranoia. Mm-hmm. So we've got a 46 year old with lung cancer and brain tumors all over the place. Nobody can go to the hospital. You can't do anything with anybody. You can't go see anybody. You can't have people come see him. Yeah. You're, you know, you're panicked about, getting sick. This is all pre, you know, pre any kind of vaccine, whether you think it worked or not, it was like, you couldn't do anything. So that, you know, that, that's how my life went for basically almost a year and a half from March of 
or uh, August of 2020 till March of 22. So, yeah, and I think, I don't remember what day it was we were going to talk, but I'm like, yeah, I got some stuff going on. So, right. And so that's, and that's the thing is, is we had, we had talked early or before then. And that's when, cause that was March, but that's when ISE show was in March. Yeah. So that's why, we, that's why I, we tried catching up and, and that's what ended up happening. I mean, I, we just, we got to sit down and just kind of reminisce and you, it was pretty raw with you still. And that's how I, the thing is for me is, is just, you know, I always go back and forth in my mind, you know, what's worse. Uh, well, so anyway, I, let me, so, you know, okay, here, here, I've got my, my friend's wife passes away or I can put down my horse. Well, guess what? I, my horse is alive. I can just keep shooting him up with freaking medicine. I'm going to my friend's funeral. I, we spent the whole day with, with Alan and the family and everyone else. And just, it, it was a, it was a great, it was a beautiful service. And it was, it was great to just, the thing that I think hurt me the most or not hurt it, the, the just I'm, I'm close to Alan, not necessarily his wife. Now I know, I mean, it's, it, we're friends and everything, but I, I don't have that deep connection to her that I do with him. The, the thing that was for me is just watching a guy that, can handle everything, you know, I mean, from Vietnam commander to, you know, all the way down to now just handling big shit and heavy shit. And when you watch those type of people carrying the weight, but just buckling every, like subtly buckling every now and then, and just seeing their face, it's like, fuck, man, it just, that's what, that's what just rips you out. Cause you're just like, I, there is nothing. I just want to be there for you, my friend. And there's not a damn thing I can do other than just shake your head or shake your hand and just freaking hug you. And I, I did. I told him, I said, I know exactly. I know everything that you're going through right now. Cause I did it with, cause she, same thing. She had breast cancer that metastasized through our body that somehow, and we can get to that if you want, but somehow metastasized into adrenal cancer, which is not supposed to happen. Although it's interesting that both were on this experimental eye branch drug. So, oh. so anyway, like it just, I it just breaks your heart because you, I, I just that was what I think just ripped me up the mo- the most was I'm watching someone I respect, so I'm watching someone I love go through, and I know what's coming. You know what I mean? I like it was identical to what my mom had, and I'm like shit because I I I know what ugliness looks like down the road and there's nothing I can do. And then here we are. It's just, bam, he, he had to be yeah. there and, and that's pretty much on his own. Meanwhile, I'm looking at my best friend, my, my buddy. And I'm like, there ain't a damn thing I can do, but I, I can't, I love you. I'm you're looking at me right now. And there's not a damn thing I can do just, just to try to just love on you and just pump you full of freaking drugs and make you feel like a little bit better. Yeah. No, I, it, it, it's an it's an ugly deal, and I would tell anybody going through it, talk to somebody that has gone through it because they will be your guide to, you know, it's worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry right. about next year. Go for what can I do today to make today better than yesterday? And the same thing happened to my brother because one of his good friends was a nurse practitioner in the ER in the hospital that they took him to the day that he was passed out because he had a brain tumor and they didn't know it, lost consciousness to rush from the hospital. He calls me, he calls his buddy, Mike. And he's like, yeah, I'm in the hospital. And we're like, Oh, he fell off his bike. Oh, he did something like never in a million years. Do you think brain tumors, cancer, 
So by the time I got there, Mike had come in. Mike was coming in, you know, he's off shift and he comes in. And we had a pretty good heart to heart that day. And he's like, you know, it happens. He said at least once or twice a week, he said, somebody walks in this door, has an ailment. We're going to treat and we do a full body scan. And we're like, your body is riddled with tumors. Welcome to cancer. And it just, it goes down a road that you can't control. You can do what you want, but it's not, it's not like you have a broken leg and they can set it and send you home and then you'll be good in six weeks. So if it's pretty far down the road, I'd say get a hold of somebody because that's the easiest thing. Somebody that's knowledgeable, somebody that's been down the path before. I mean, I'm going to sound like I'm, you know, preaching medical advice, which I'm not a medical doctor, but I would tell anybody that gets in this situation, make yourself an expert in whatever it is your friend, family member has, because you need to be that person's advocate in the doctor's office at the office visits in the hospital. They have 110 patients. They're going to spend literally three and a half minutes with you. If you are not on your A game with information, questions, techniques, treatments, taking will be back tomorrow. Taking notes. I will I watch I was yeah. so I was livid. I was I I'm the guy that's gotten typically a lot of patience with other people. Like other bullshit that people pull. I'm I'm usually patient with that. Like I lost my shit in the freaking ner- the in the the on the floor one day because I literally watched the doctor come in almost kill my mom by giving her the wrong medicine and and modifying the medicine by breaking it up, and then I watched repeatedly nurses come in give my mom her full dose all her meds, and then ten minutes later in walks another nurse with all of the meds and you're like all right Mister o- or or well Miss McDaniel but. Terry, it's time for your meds. And we're like, she just got her no, meds. No, no, no. These, these are meds. It's like, no, she just got her meds. No, she didn't. Um, I'm sitting right here. I just watched it. Oh, well, they must have been something different. It's like, no, we took the notes. Ding, 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 ding. This is what she got. Well, uh, I'll have to check that because that's not in. It's like, what the f-? like repeatedly. I, I was like, what the system. fuck are we doing, people? Yeah. I, it just. My, uh. My big invention while sitting there for I don't know how many days and weeks and nights and weekends in the hospital was I wanted to come up with a doctor app that tracked your physician in the hospital, just like Uber. Because I don't if you're on the fifth floor taking taking new patients in, you're not going to come to the third floor to the cardiac unit in 15 minutes. I can go grab lunch. But if I don't, and I wait two hours now, I'm starving and I go to grab lunch. You will come in the 15 minutes that I'm not sitting there. Yes. Yeah. No, dude. Like I I sat there. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, this is supposed to be automated. This is why you have your little computer. This is why you type this shit in because it's supposed to go across all your freaking. Well, this one doesn't talk to that one. I'm like, "Mm -mm, not acceptable. Like if, if we, if mom had not been uh, Johnny, like you, she did exactly what you talked about is she became an expert. Like, what does this medicine do and how, and what's the side effects and how is the, and that's the thing is like, if she had not, so the, the, like I said, this one particular medicine was like this, this pure chemo pill that was supposed to that do not break it apart because then it will dissolve too quickly. And you, you, yeah, you, it's gotta be time released just right. In order for it yeah. to do what it's going to do, otherwise it's just freaking toxic. Your shit will kill you. Well, yeah, he just busted it up and was going to mix it in with some Jello or something like that. And she's like, no, and she refused. And he got pissed at her, like as in like like oh, like argument with her. And he's like, 
you're basically calling her every name in the book about it being a terrible patient. And I'm not going to treat you if you can't take blah, 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 blah. He leaves. And we're like, of course, the rest of the family's like, fuck you, man. Like we're, we're, and he does, he goes down to the pharmacy or t pulls up the, the pharmacist in the hospital there. And the guy was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. You don't bust that apart. Nope. That'll kill her. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. So I guess you were right. Yeah. Like motherfucker. I mean, I'm like, what, like, what do we, Oh, you, you, and this is okay. So John, this is what I want to, this is what I want to ask you because it was a, it, we, you know, the funeral was great. Well, I mean, it was a really, it was, it was great. It was good to just, cause we had a, there were several different get togethers uh, uh, through the process where we got, could just sit and talk and reminisce. And, um, and then with, with doc, I mean, I was good Lord gave us the one that last morning, you know, one sitting there waiting for the vet to come. It was just a, a perfect morning. It was calm. It was warm. It was sunny. He was just, you could tell he, I mean, he was like, he knew, you know what I mean? It just, he knew what we were there to do. And he just, he just wanted to just hang out and just, just cuddle. And that whole lead up, all the anticipation and all the emotional, just, just, just it wasn't, Annie just wrecked me. Um, did you ever find, and, and I don't know if we, I don't remember if I asked you this then. You were in the trenches with your brother. And, and, you, and you, there's, I think, I know we talked about this. What's worse? Uh, uh, if What's worse? Having a protracted disease that the, that the person that's dying of it is going to, is going to, go get drugged through hell and suffer for an extended period of time. And then they're going to pass. However, with that, the family, you can plan, you can get all sorts of I's dotted and T's crossed and paperwork done. And the family can visit and, and, and you, you like, there's emotional, like coming to terms for this family. The, the family you gets know, the benefit of it, but the, but the patient is the one that suffers versus like my grandfather, he just, just drops over dead with a massive heart. No one, like it was, well, he was old. We, he had had some heart issues, but he was perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden just randomly, burnt, he's gone to where he's in peace. And he didn't feel a thing, but now the rest and everybody of else, everybody else is left to pick up pieces is just in, in just chaos. So it's like, which one's better? Like which, which I, I, one's I, better? <laughs> Neither, the answer is none of the above, but I can right. tell you there are good things in my mind about either one. And you're exactly right with my brother diagnosed with a terminal disease was given four to actually the first day we were in the hospital, they said, if we do nothing, you probably have two or three weeks. So that is a holy shit moment where you go, I better get my ducks in a row. And the problem right. was he had eight brain tumors and they said, the rules are we don't operate if there's more than five because it's too much trauma and it's too hard to handle. And then we can't go in and treat what's left. And so what we did was we got a second opinion. I've got a friend that's a neurosurgeon. And we actually talked to this guy, Mike, who was in the hospital, who was in the ER. And he said, well, let me talk to my neurosurgeon buddy, who's the head of neurosurgery at this major hospital. And he got on the horn. He goes, let me take a look at this chart. And he goes, well, here's the deal. Most people that have eight brain tumors are in way worse shape than you are. You're 47 years old. You're young, you're healthy, you're otherwise in great condition. 
He goes, if I had seen you the first night you came in and I was off because I was doing something else, I probably would have thrown you down emergency surgery to relieve the pressure in your brain, which was what caused him to have a seizure, which caused him to pass out, which caused him to go to the hospital in the first place. So he said, if we can do that, I can knock four of these off pretty quick. Like matter of fact, like you and I are talking about gut yeah. and elk. Oh, I can gut, no gut and elk in two hours. That was a 12 hour scheduled surgery over Labor Day weekend on a Saturday when nobody else was even in the building, they said, you know, we're pulling this guy in. We're going to do this. And so he did 12 hours of surgery, two on the right side, two on the left side, two craniotomies, two pieces off his skull. Like you want to talk about, this was not a easy surgery, but we had about four or five days to get our affairs in order. And if he doesn't come through it, we already know what the outcome is. Well, he comes right. through it. There's all kinds of trials and tribulations in the next four to six months. We had, you know, lung capacity issues, pulmonary embolisms, you know, you name it. We had a million things because he started radiation. We had a million things go wrong, but we got to go hunting. So in fall of 2020, we actually got a landowner voucher for a four season rifle tag for our buddies up in Kremlin. And we had carte blanche on 60 or 70,000 acres. Couldn't go with anybody because it was COVID. Right. Could drive around in the truck and maybe get a, you know, a shot at a deer, but he's tugging an oxygen bottle. He can't breathe. So like we're at elevation. So all of this makes it remarkably hard, but it's one of the best things we did because it got him up. It got him motivated and it got him out of the house. And the next year we planned an elk hunt, burned 15 points, planned an antelope hunt, burned a dozen points. And he killed a great antelope buck and a really cool freak, uh, elk so like i like the part where you get a little more time after september october november december sucked in the spring he started to feel a little bit better we actually went and saw my parents who weren't well enough to travel so we got a, a visit in with them so like all of those things got to happen because it wasn't a quick lights out done you right. know my friend Alvalejo. Alvalejo was driving his truck down the road, talking to his kid on the phone, going to a job. Widowmaker ruptured aortic aneurysm, dead within 30 seconds. His son had to like pull the wheel and get him off the road and crash into the side. Didn't feel a thing, didn't hear boo, but he leaves. Oh, all this other unfinished business. A ton right. of stuff that he was supposed to be doing and he was going to get to, never got to. So with Joe, we got to a lot of those things that we wanted to get to. The only disappointment we had was he really wanted to go on a moose hunt. And I, you know, this is September of 2020. All the moose tags are gone, Colorado. I actually got a hold of the guy that won the statewide auction tag. He bought it. I knew somebody that knew him. That guy also drew a tag that year. So I made some calls. I talked to some people. He's like, you know what? I've got my tag. I'll give my tag to your brother. CPW said, we don't have a mechanism for exchanging tags once they've been issued. I'm like, make a wish, anything. And I mean, you know, I know some people in CPW and they went, they literally went to the attorney general because they're like, you know, this guy's not going to leave it alone. Like we can tell a lot of people no, but we're going to try to make this happen. So that's the only thing I would say we didn't get to do was go on a moose hunt. But other than that, I mean, he had, you know, 
tough times in a year and a half. And then really after the elk hunt in October. So, you know, October through March, he went rapidly downhill between, you know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, you know, after that, it was all just off a cliff. So, but we got to do a lot of cool stuff. And it was, and honestly, it was a lot of hunting related stuff. And I think that, you know, you have a hunting podcast here. I would tell people, if you get a chance, take somebody out, go do something with them. And I mean, I, I like to do that with other people. I like to take people hunting. I mean, he was, his first antelope hunt was out with you at Pumpkin Center out there. You know, yeah. he was fairly new to Colorado. He killed his first antelope out there. I was standing right next to him when he killed his very first spike mule deer. I went with him on, you know, he was with me on my first moose hunt where I killed a cow. It was just him and I getting charged by a bull. He was with me when I killed a U bighorn sheep. And he was kind of with us. I killed my, when I killed my Shiras moose, he was about two miles, three miles up the road at a glassing point. My buddy Jeff Meese and I, we snuck in and I killed this bull with a one shot with a bow. And we went, we went up and honked the horn. That was a signal. Joe comes down off the mountain. He comes, I'm like, oh man, we got, we, sh- we shot a moose and I-, I don't know. It's not a great shot. We're going to have to go tracking it. And like, I mean, the thing fell over stone cold dead in 60 yards. And so we go out there and we're like, well, it was right here. And we're kind of like playing, just yanking his freaking chain. And this is 10 years ago now. The moose is laying right there. And he's like, you, you know, he's like all pissed at us. Well, he got <laughs> me back because Jeff had a, Jeff had a tape measure in his backpack and he breaks it out. And Joe, he goes, oh, give me the dumb end. And so Joe takes zero through one, you know, one. Well, he, he palms like six inches. And I watch Jeff, and I don't care where Joe is. I'm watching Jeff, and Jeff's at 54 inches. I'm like, 54 inches on a Shiras? <laughs> it was only 47. Joe had pumped seven inches in his hand. I'm like, you son of a – did you get? So, so, yeah, I mean – No, so that's the thing. That question. I, don't, I don't think there's a right answer for that question. I, I think that – no, there's so many different ways. I mean, the, the thing is about talking about it, 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 it really does. That's the thing. You can't, if the worst place to be is, is lost in your own mind, because because at two o'clock in the morning, that's when it's going to start coming. If you, if you haven't been able to just sit and talk to somebody, that's, that's when the demons come. Um, but the thing about that is, is the other part of the, the, and just talking through just some of this stuff, because some, because part of this is, also about quality of life, you know, like for you, for Joe, there was a moment there where like, okay, we do this. I go through the surgery and all that. There's a massive risk. Maybe I don't even come off the table, Yeah, you know, and it's done. Oh, I'd say at that point, the doctor was legitimately telling us there's 50, 50 chance you'll come off the table because they start poking around in there. His brain is already compromised. He's already got some, you know, some pressure issues and who knows how intertwined some of those growths are. Right. And he was real frank with this. And that's what I tell people. I mean, give it to me freaking straight. I, I don't need to beat around the bush. Tell me, tell me what's going to happen here and what are my options? Cause I'll make the decision based on the information at hand. Right. So, but the, but his options, you know, it, it ended up being, where it gave him some very good quality time. Now, later on, it, it turned to shit. And it's a, yeah. that's the other thing too, that it's just, you wrestle with, because sometimes I'm, I'm watching some of these people and, and my mom was the example. She starts getting on these medications that is going to, you know, 
it, it could give her another six months. Okay. Then you look at the cost of that medication. And then I realized, you know, or you know, the family realizes they don't have the money to even like he, the, 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 the family's just going to go into stupid debt, you know, so, which, okay. You say, well, you can't put a price on it. Mm, no, no, you can. No. Like you, you look at it. And you're like, holy shit. Like, what do we, okay, here we, here we go. We're, we're going to go this route and we're going to spend the money on this medication. What, what are the side effects? Uh, all of her joints are going to dissolve. What? Her, her joints are going to dissolve. What do you mean by that? Uh, exactly what we just said. So she's going to be wheelchair bound or bedridden. Yes. Oh, that's fucking lovely. So it, then you said, you're like, holy shit. Like it, it, it becomes that decision of, Calling the vet, I, I'm 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 going to either accept this and give just the physical existence of another six months. Hope, hopefully, or it's not, and, and it's have not, it's and not have quality, and and exactly have no quality of life whatsoever, and no my family husband is going to be just strapped with freaking debt. Or do I say, no, skip it. I, I like, I've never, I've obviously here I am standing. I don't, I've never been in that situation. I don't even, I would like to think I would be strong enough to make a, a, a ration. It's not, it's not that it's rational. It's, it's not, none of it is ra- at that point. Like it's pure emotion. You can run the numbers and you can run the logistics of, but it's still going to be driven by freaking your emotion, everyone around you. Like, the quality of life part of it is is huge as well when you're dealing with that type of illness. Whereas the flip side, is you, you just drop over dead. Quality of life was freaking epic, like right up to that point. You know, yeah. everyone else well, has the rest of their life to get moved past it. You know what I mean? My my buddy's mom just passed away in February, and she had made the decision last summer. She had battled cancer a couple times. She didn't like what had happened, but she was 84. And she kind of went with the, you know what? I'm good. I, I don't need this. I don't like the chemo. And she literally played cards on Tuesday, went on a horse sleigh, sleigh horse ride up in Maine on Thursday, talked to them on Friday, didn't feel good Saturday morning, passed away Saturday at noon. That is like living yes. right till the end. And yes. going out on your terms. Yes. That so. like, if like, there you go. If you had a terminal illness and and you wanted to be like, go get you, hopefully see, I did a, one of my very first podcasts was right after mom died. And, and it was about that. It was like, are you, are you ready to leave life? Like, are you ready to leave? Because I watched my family. They were not like money wills, like, like all of every legal thing that needs to happen. If someone's going to die, they 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 had none of it, and so if, if one person listening to this podcast, there there may be two people that listen to it besides. I think there's three now. I think there's yeah, three now. Three. Someone someone's dog. They put it on. They they just put play when they're at work, and then yeah, they listen. If if I could tell them one thing is you got to be an advocate if you're in this situation in the hospital. The other one is talk to a end of life specialist. Get your affairs in order. Because there is nothing worse than one having to deal with the death of a family or, you know, close family member or friend 
And the second part of that is having to deal with all the other crap that comes with it. So my brother was not married, never been married, no kids. He and I talked it through and he's like, I'm giving you all my crap. Do it, do with it what you want. And if there's anything specific, I'll let you know who gets what. And so we did the most basic, simple service, simple will, simple write up, you know, he had some skis. I don't freaking need tell him. I don't need 12 pairs of telemark skis. He's like, donate them to the National Ski Patrol. They'll know what to do. Perfect. So we just made a list. And it's very cathartic. And I'd say somewhat, it puts it into perspective that I'm going to die at some point. It's not tomorrow. It could be, but it's not. But at least you know your wishes have been met. And right. things like, you know, we didn't want a big you know, Catholic mass funeral. My parents insisted. So I went back to Connecticut and we had something there. He was cremated. And this is the coolest part of, you know, his passing. He was cremated. And I mean, it's, it is, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty matter of fact about life and I can deal with stuff. I got a box. They call you up and they say, Hey, come get this box. And there's your brother. But I had ordered these little capsules on Amazon, these little stainless steel capsules. And I filled 150 of those little suckers and I handed them out. We had a big party at the ranch up in Kremlin where we love to hang out. We had 250 people there. And the funniest part of the whole day was I had all these little capsules. And I didn't tell anybody what I did, but I had them in literally a Coors beer case box. And they were just on the table with all the photos, like deer racks and ski patrol stuff and all this stuff. And I told everybody, I said, hey, here's the deal. Joe would have wanted to go on, on an adventure with you. Here's a capsule of Joe. Feel free to take one. Take them wherever you want. Keep them with you, spread them on the mountain, do whatever you want. And we talked about it and everybody's like, oh, I'm going to take them here. I'm going to take them there. Probably an hour after I do my little spiel, this lady comes up to me and she's just white as a ghost. She goes, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. She goes, I saw those little capsules and I thought it was like lip balm. So I opened one up and I spilled it on the table and it was in the middle of the shop in the arena. And I just kind of swept it off on the floor. And I'm like, Perfect. Awesome. Joe is forever <laughs> right in the here. arena. Right. And she's mortified. And I called everybody over and I'm like, you're not going to believe Joe's in the arena. Joe's all over this place. <laughs> and I mean, he's been to Guam. He's been to Japan. He's been to Alaska. And people are sent, still sending me pictures. The coolest thing done with him was they sprinkled a little bit of him in one of the avalanche bombs and Winter Park Ski Patrol. Nice. Swept him over the cornice into <laughs> nice. the bowls. Boom. Nice. Ever spread at Winter Park. So I mean, you can make it what you want. It can be sad. It can't. You know, it's tough when it's somebody you really care about. It's really tough when it's somebody young. And I think that all plays into it. No two scenarios are the same. So I mean, that's what we did. We had we had a big beer barbecue, and everybody got a little Joe. I care. I got a little pouch. I carry to my bino harness when I go hunting. So he's always there. Yeah, and see, that's that is one reason why I do. You know whether it's a burial or what the for us for me it's all is same thing cremation is is awesome because at least you could do that we did the exact same thing with my mom and and she loved route 66 and and she loved williams arizona that that whole stretch down through arizona and you know so i was guiding in seven west out of out of williams and, and flagstaff and there was and she was a history te- she was a special ed teacher uh, and that she, she specialized her passion was just history, 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 and just especially native American history and early, um, westward expansion history, that type of stuff. 
Well, in set unit seven West, there's an actual natural spring, like one of the rare natural springs or whatever in uh in the in the desert out there. And it's just cool because you can go out there, it's it's public. You can go out there and take a look at it. Um, of course it was bone dry when I was there because it was the worst drought that they'd had in years, but um there's petroglyphs on the it's bit it's so old that I mean there's petroglyphs on the rocks and stuff around it. And I was like, what better than she loved nature? She loved archaeology type stuff. She loved the history, Native American stuff. Here we are. We're we're right smack dab in the middle of her, her favorite chunk of real estate on the earth. And so, yeah, you just get to go on that last adventure. Um, to one one thing that that let's go back to Al a minute. This is where I think it's one thing to for those people that are going through a family illness or a friend or whatever, and, and you've got time to come to grips with, oh shit, let's, we need to do something. There's no, especially if you're a parent, especially if you have kids and, and, and like, if you're healthy, you still need, you still ought to have a will. You still, and a, a notarized executed, like this is official will. And like, whether your medical record, like what you, like if all of a sudden you had get an automobile accident and you're a vegetable, do you want to live as a vegetable for the rest of your life? Or do you want to do not resuscitate? Do you want to like, what do you want for yourself? Because if you become incapacitated or when you die, if you don't have any instructions, guess what? The rest of the family is, is going to be in for a world of shit. I mean, there's going to be somebody that wants to do everything possible to keep you alive. And there's going to be somebody that wants to donate your organs and somebody doesn't like that idea. And then somebody's going to want to be cremated. Somebody said, well, they've got the family plot over here. We need to bury it next to grandma. Like make your wishes known. Or how about this? Or worse yet, grandma and grandpa have these really cool antiques and oh, grandma and grandpa also have this house over here. And all of a sudden grandpa and grandma die. And guess what? All of a sudden, some relative out of middle of freaking nowhere shows up and says, well, those antiques are mine and that house is mine. And all of a sudden you get freaking vultures. You want to watch how fast vultures come out in your family? It's disgusting, but it's true. So get even healthy young people should be getting their their stuff in order because you never know going down. How many people on I-25 every day? end up taking their last trip down I-25 and they've never thought in a million years, they were just planning on going home and guess what? Mom didn't make it home. Now what? You know, so here's the other, did you, I'm going to ask it anyway, because I know you can handle it. After the funeral, after the party at the, like after, after everything was said and done, Did you ever did you ever have a problem with with like for uh, like for me and it was and and I talking uh with my landowner today it was good talking with him because I could there was a, a and it was the same thing with my mom and I know a lot of people get just gripped with guilt about this the sense of relief like it just it it sucks shit that you just said goodbye to your brother or my mom or Carolyn or whatever. But for me, it's always, it was almost always the anticipation of and the build up of, of course, the day, like, the, of course, the funeral sucks because you're looking at memory, like you're there, like it sucks. But when it's done, the, the sense of relief the, 
I don't think the sense of relief is a bad thing because I was running, you know, a million miles an hour. I took a lot of time off work, but I was staying with my brother. I was at his house, not my house. My kids are still at home. One's going to college. Like I had a lot of other things going on. My parents are both pretty old. They, you know, I worried about them. You know, I had a lot of other worries going on. And I think, you know, everybody says, oh, take care of yourself. Do what you can. You know, you know, don't be, don't, you cannot put a number or a type of stress that all of that causes you. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care if, like you said, your buddy's a Vietnam vet, it will affect you. And if you do not release when it is over, you can't, you can't carry it forever. You have to have like a, there has to be a pressure relief on a pressure cooker where you just go, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, and, and, I'm and, you, and yeah. you you need to understand it's all right because there's some people that just get ripped with you know like guilt. You know, like you know why 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 am I happy and why do I feel happier now and that I'm it's like because you were carrying the load, this emotional load. It's like me this 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 past week for me was just just it just was stressful and it just sucked. It just it was just good today to to just get in the truck with him and just go drive talk about shit that had nothing to do with the foot, you know, just get your, get our minds clear on it and just laugh again and just say, yeah, you know, I, I did. I'm like, are you okay? And I like, is everything, everything getting wrapped up? He's like, nope, we're, 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 we're all right. And you you can see, see, we bring it just, we don't, we don't have to worry about that. They're in a better place. They're not suffering anymore. Whatever it is that you want, regardless of whether you're religious or not, you just, they're, they're, they're no longer suffering, and now it's time to, and ser- seriously, being able to talk with other people, because that's the other thing that just really upset me when I was going through it with mom is just out of the millions of people every year that go through this, it just always seems like everybody that enters into the, like, just imagine like a pipe, it's 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 almost like a water slide, like, here we go. You're, you're at the top and then you get in that chute and this ride only ends in one place. Now it may not be a fun ride, like a water slide. It may be just a world of shit, but you just entered the pipeline and there it's going to daylight in one scenario period end of discussion. Yeah. So you, you've got to understand that, that, that emote, all that that you're carrying, you're going to have to find somebody that you can talk to Oh, my point was, it's the same damn pipeline. Like, why does it always seem like everybody's discovering these things for themselves? You know what I mean? To what you said is talk to people. Because there's been a lot of people that have gone through this before. Get on freaking chat forums and support groups and just talk to your people at church and talk to your people at your work and, and your community and your friends. Like, just just freaking talk. And just because yeah, I mean, talking is good. I have somebody at work that works with me right now who has a brother that is in a very similar situation. And so being able to go through and they, you know, they're not the primary caregiver, the brother's far away, whatever. I'm like, tell, tell me where that, tell me where they are. Are they going for PET scans? What is yeah. the scan showing? What are they on? What can we, like, like all of that stuff. And like, I can be very clinical about it, but I can also be very, supportive and like okay i know what's going to happen next and the, right. the, the story's the same it's just really tough to explain to somebody that hasn't gone through it right but i think if you if you do find somebody you can bounce stuff off the biggest thing for me that made a lot of it tolerable was like i had to go do something normal i needed to go on a hike 
Right. I literally had an elk tag three weeks after my brother had brain surgery. I had a muzzleloader elk tag. And I said, you know what? I need a day off. I am leaving his house. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon. I got one afternoon to hunt elk. I don't care if I kill him. I'm literally just going away. And I got into this zone. I literally spotted a bull 400 yards off a major U.S. highway is all I'm going to say. Not in my unit that I like to hunt, a different one. And it was a 325 bull. And I'm like, this is not going to happen by myself with a muzzleloader. So I'm like, all right, I'm getting it. Let me, let me, should I really even be doing this? That was like my thought. But I'm like, Joe would want me to go. It would be a great story if I went on an afternoon hunt and killed an elk. I literally hiked in there, hiking up this avalanche chute. I get in, I'm parallel to them. I'm kind of going up. I can hear them bugling and they come out. They were, there's three avalanche shoots. I'm not going to describe it too well. They were in the <laughs> trees in between the second and third avalanche chute. And they were feeding towards me. I had them in 125 yards and something just, the cows were, they knew I was on one side of the chute. They were on the other. And all of a sudden the bull comes out. Those willows are really super high there. And he like wanders out. I've got like a split second broadside and then he turns away. And now I've got him in a hundred yards with just an ass shot. I'm like, if I shoot this elk right now, even if I kill him, he's literally going to fall within a hundred feet of the truck. Cause it's so freaking steep. But I was like, I'm just going to let this chalk this up to that was a great experience. I just for two hours did not think a single second about yeah. what was going on. And I was out of, out of my mind, like, in a, in a moment. So like, that's the kind of stuff that gets me through it. Like I got to get, it's not out of body. I just got to get out of that world and take a break. Like people, people, I said, what can I do for you? I'm like, you know what you can do for me? You can give my brother a ride somewhere. You can come sit with him for four hours so I can go home, do whatever. If you can take him overnight. Great. You know, like that's what, when when people say, what can I do for you? Like, you know what? This is going to sound horrible don't bake me a freaking lasagna and send it to the house frozen because there were 92 of those frozen dinner things that we threw away <laughs> because he's by himself. You know, if you've got a family of five and your mom's sick, yeah, sure. Help him out that way. But yeah. everybody wants to do something and like just bringing food over that a cancer patient isn't going to eat anyway. It, it helps those people feel better. And you're like, Oh, thank you very much. Um, yeah. But just make sure you're asking like, what, what can I do for the person that's helping as well? I think is, is no, and that, that's, that's huge. Cause, and I I've seen, and that's the one thing that, that, that Alan did we smart on. He, they, they were able, the way they had set their insurance and everything else up and finances up, he was able to have in, in home care, you know, professional in home care for her. And, and on my mom's side, they didn't have money at all. And so they, it was, it was family, it was it was a contentious family relationship anyway, and it, yeah. it it was it was forced upon the husband and the daughter, one of the daughters, and and so it the amount of stress that they were going through, and then now you get you start building resentment now it, it because you can't take a moment away like no it just it yeah you you've got yeah there's there's so many layers to it I mean I don't know man it just it. It just, it's a, it's a fact of life that in the older we get, the more frequent it's going to come. And I don't know, it's just good to talk about it. I, and we had talked about before, you know, just kind of reminiscing about Joe. And I just thought it was interesting. Not, not that I wanted this, but 
the way it just shook out that I was like, well, it's just kind of interesting that I was talking with yeah. John before yeah. this all happened and I'm supposed to talk to John on the back end of it. So here we are. And I mean, you know, it's good to talk about it. It, it shouldn't consume your life. And like you said, if you're feeling guilty about it, go talk to somebody, get some help because it's not, it, it should, it is part of life and everybody deals with it differently, but like there's stuff you don't know. So there's stuff you don't know what you're supposed to do, say, feel like, you know, hospice is a whole different other topic my brother he was at a hospice you know facility for about 12 days before he passed away and the rules there are totally lax they don't care you can bring in we had chicken chicken wings we had pizza we had 12 people in the room with beer like you know they're like whatever we do whatever we want here it's not a hospital and so like that's that was very you know he actually bounced quite a bit getting out of the hospital even though he knew that he was no longer receiving nutrition He could only take in by mouth what he was able to stomach. And that was nothing. So like you knew at that point, I won't say that was like the pulling the plug moment for me, but he had a a pet line in, I think it was peck, peck, peck. Yep. And it was basically nutrition. But once they pulled that, I went, Oh, that's, that's the ticking time bomb. And I mean, those people, like, I can't say enough good things about a hospice nurse. That is a special calling if you can do Holy that kind of job. Right? Unbelievable. Right? I, and right, like, because, and, and I watched it. I, I've watched it repeatedly. You can't not, like, obviously you can find those piece of shit nurses, whether it's a man or a woman, that that just are emotionally detached and, and just they're robotic and they're they're just assholes. That's very, 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 very rare. Most of them that I've ever, they, they, they become part of the family. I mean, they're, they're invested with you. And when they do pass, they're crying just as hard right there with you. And, and then what do they do? They like take care of everything. They leave. Yeah. And two days later, they're with another patient getting ready to do it all over again. Like, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. It's emotionally draining. I, I couldn't, like I said, I don't thank, know how thank they do it. Them, but I don't know how they can do it. No. All right. I'm, I'm more into I'm more into making people happy and doing good things and you know right. trying not to think about the bad things. So right, right. All right. So based on our <laughs> uh let's 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 kill an hour worth of, of melancholy. But I do I do I did I mean I did. I I I obviously went down my memory lanes on all of my side of all the equations and then you know obviously getting ready to to do this part too i was like man you know that was part of the original discussion back last year yeah it it was and it's it's your podcast you talk about whatever you want and i honestly i mean if the six or seven people do listen to this they'll be like oh i've had this problem or i've heard that or oh that'll really that'll resonate with somebody somewhere good so no 100 percent and 100 or or Worse yet, somebody's listening to this, and next week they're going to find out. Next week, they have no idea right now. Their life is just fine and and going, and they have no idea. They're just about to get into the pipeline, and that's the thing. It's just this this needs to be shared and talked about, and I don't know. It's just it's just good to remember. I mean, that's the thing, and I do. That's this is the other thing that I never even you know thought about, and you don't you. I guess maybe you do. Like my mom was the type of person she had to take a picture of everything, like to the point where people she would just annoy the shit out of people. Like people would just resent me, like put the damn phone away. We don't have to take a picture of everything. Meanwhile, I know for me, like I don't 
Kelly and I, I don't, we don't take pictures of each other. Like I take pictures. I've got a whole shit pile of my stuff just because of the hunting stuff I do. But like, I've got almost no pictures. We have like almost no pictures of Kelly as an adult. And you, you sit there and you, whether it's a, for a memorial service or whether you just want to just remember them, like being able to have pictures or being able to have video to just be able to go back and just, just relive some of those moments and laugh and, and, and look back on them and it just sparks that memory again. Or, you know, with me and doc, just, you know, anybody who wants to watch him in action. I mean, that on YouTube that I think it's high, no, it's a high country redemption video that I did on YouTube, elk hunt. I mean, that was, I think that was the second to last elk hunt that I think doc or second to last elk that doc packed out. I think he was there with us when I packed out my uh, big high country bull. Um, but it was just, it's just fun to look back on it and just remember his personality and remember just in the mountains packing shit out and just having a great, so take pictures, like take, take pictures, pictures of family and video and just laugh and laugh and document yeah. it. Pets. I mean, especially pets, just, just take, yeah. a, just to take a shit. You can always delete pictures later. You can't create yeah. them when it's gone. I got I do have to tell you a funny picture story. So we were, you know, in hospice, there's probably six, four or five, six people in the room with us. And Joe's kind of paging through his phone, looking at something. I don't really know what he was looking for, but somebody was sitting next to him. My wife, Erica was there and we were just talking to him and he gets to a picture and somebody goes, who's that girl? Joe's like, no, no, no. You know, and he kind of flipped, you know, this is, three days before he died, four days before he died. <laughs> and he flips past. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, oh, I've seen that picture before. I said, that's when you drove to Casper, Wyoming with some girl to watch the total lunar eclipse. And they like went out in the middle of the Shirley Basin and like watched it. And I'm like, who was that? What was her name? And no one in the room could figure it out. And Joe's just sitting there just smirking. And he's like, <laughs> taking that one to my grave. <laughs> I'm like, oh, That's that awesome. is stubborn right there. That's awesome. And I I know exactly where I was on that that yeah. Or it was a lunar eclipse or the solar eclipse. Solar eclipse. There you go. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly where I was on that day too. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, take pictures. That's good. Um do we talk about hunting today? What are we talking about? What why, not? why not? Why not? Why <laughs> not? Uh, actually. Um, I got, I got lots of good news because Colorado draw results up. are out. People shut should... up. I don't, well, you didn't draw one, so we're better off. I did not me. draw. All right. No, but, I'm, but, in, I'm but, in my building, building points for mountain goat. And I am sadly in the middle of three and eight for my second bighorn tag drawn. But people have to remember, I, you know, I drew my last tag 23 years ago. So I have been playing the game. So I should, I should get one at some point, but who knows when. No, a good friend of mine drew uh, archery tag. I'm going to tag along in that hunt. Um, another friend of mine's daughter drew uh, a ram tag in the collegiates. And she drew a nanny goat tag. So she drew both this year. Some okay. And my cousin drew a goat How far so, apart are the seasons? Uh, two weeks, she starts on September, the Tuesday after Labor Day for the goat or for the sheep. And that's sheep season's a month long, September, like fifth through the fifth of October. 
The goat hunt's right in the middle. It's the last two weeks of September, so the 18th oh, the 30th. So they, so they overlap. So that's – see, that's rough. There's some people that get excited about drawing those tags. I don't know if I'd ever purposely ever want to. You remember – you all, you know Willie Schmidt. Yeah, it's a nanny tag, so it's not that hard. It's in a unit that I've hunted and killed – helped kill at least three other goats in. So, I I mean – She's got – She's going to do it right there. She has some yeah. assets, and it's, and it's going to be – it's going to be easy. She has some – what, what the is sheep it? tag is going to be tough. It's it's high right. country, and the problem with that is this is this is how. So Jeff, I don't know if you know Jeff Meese. He's the president, yeah. vice president of the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society now. Yeah. He's my go-to. He's a retired firefighter now, but I met him on on the internet on site. We both had crazy French bear tags fifteen years ago, and that's how we both started hunting together. We he's my hey Jeff, I got this crazy hunt. Uh, you want to go on this? And he's like, when do we start? Let's go. So like he, he doesn't care what it is, but if it's, I think he and I at one time figured out we've been on 15 or 16 sheep goat or moose hunts together in Colorado. Like he, nice. he's the guy to go to like, Hey, I got a goat tag. Let's go. Hey, uh, my buddy has a Zirkle sheep tag. You got four days off. You want to go with us? We're bringing llamas. Like he'll, he'll go on those. So we were trying to analyze like, okay, so out of the six tag holders or the five tag holders in the unit, two of the guys had like three and 20 points. So you got to figure those guys are at least 50 or 60 years old. Right. So they're going to be tough to get around. They may know what they're doing, but they're going to be, and then there's like two people in the middle range, which might be go-getters or might've never applied for sheep before. or don't even know. And then there's always going to be one go-getter, you know, like fanboy for some camo company with every piece of gear hanging off his backpack. <laughs> and so we're like, all right, what we can saying, probably guy? outthink most of them. We can probably out hike or out maneuver half of them. So how much competition do we really have? No, that's awesome. So no, I just, yeah, yeah Willie, what, what Willie drew, he, didn't he draw a moose? He he drew his moose. Was it a moose, goat, and desert? Yeah. I thought it was moose, He's moose, mountain goat, and desert ram all in the same, all in the same only, year. Only guy I'm aware of that's ever done that. I know plenty of people have gotten moose and or goat and sheep and you throw the moose in there moose is harder to draw than either one goat or sheep right now across yeah. the board it's harder to draw. that's that's so, the only one that obviously when i when i moved away my my dreams of of filling my moose tag was was gone because there's ain't no way i'm spending what is it 2500 bucks or something like that and now yeah. you've got to buck up is it well maybe not now but there but you had to buck not up now. the whole you still, thing. Yeah. right yeah um well, do you still you still have points, or did you I do? I, I well, I do, but I I haven't put in for points. I, I don't have max points because really? I don't even think it. I don't. It doesn't matter, dude. It, it, it doesn't. It, it max points on moose is irrelevant. They should just just turn that over into just flat out random draw. I yes, can, am I, I right can, or wrong? You're wrong. Oh come on now, bull, bull! All right, we're, here we are. First rabbit hole. We're going right to the bottom of this sucker. You're full of shit. Why? Hey, you, it doesn't even matter. It's all it's all on the random number. No, don't you know how it works? Have you not looked up my article on how the draw works? I have. Well, here's the deal. Explain so to me where I'm wrong. What really? Here's what really matters. I'm going to prove the. I'm going to prove that your points do help you, and I can I can do it mathematically. So what happens is, for those of you that are listening, you apply for a bighorn sheep tag. And you are assigned a six-digit application number. 
that application number can be anything from 900,999, but it's generally a different number. But it doesn't matter when you apply because the last digit in that number gets inverted and becomes the first digit in that number. So your singles place on the far right gets inverted. If you if you look it up, go ahead and look it up. How the big horns, how the big, how the big game draw, or how the sheep, goat, and moose draw works in Colorado. I wrote the article. Where okay, what happens wait, is wait, 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 wait. where is the article posted? I don't know. It's on the internet. Come on. It's, <laughs> what's the title of it? Say it again slowly. I'm looking for it right now. How the draw because, works? Because I will um, say. Because I will say. While while, while I'm still going to punch him in the throat because I I disagree. He that article was the best article ever written on on the the these tags so yeah it, you did a phenomenal yeah. job all right do you want me to it's on colorado outdoor sports okay dot com and okay. it's how the colorado sheep and goat draw really works by john legnard yours true you so what he, happens he is, doesn't say he, any so it says that you're an expert with sheep and goat which means you don't know shit about moose so i still no, i still moose, hold the moose works the moose works the same way but here's here's the deal. So let me let me explain to you how it works. I'm gonna I'm gonna run a quick scenario for you, and it will explain to you. So what happens is your number gets inverted, and then they still do this. And I actually went and witnessed the tile draw for bighorn sheep, desert, and mountain goat a couple weeks ago. And I know the second they draw that first tile out, if you have a good number or not, if you've drawn a tag. And so the way the way it works is. The number they draw, zero through nine, gets assigned the digit zero. So the first one out of the bin is four. So if your number was ended in four, your first number now becomes a zero. So what that means is instead of having 400,000, you now have 40-something thousand. That 40-something thousand number, if you have 10 preference points or nine plus one divided by 10, you now have a 4,000 number. Out of 999,999. So if you do the math, that 4,000 can't be beat by very many combinations. So that number is very critical when you have weighted points to divide it by. Trust me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. Well, I've got time to tell I've got. I'm telling you, I've had. It matters. Well, it matters. It matters. In, it matters. Back in the day, may, maybe someday I'll I'll start putting back it. Back in the day when he had to write a freaking twenty five hundred dollar nut of a check, that made a big difference. Oh, yeah. huge! But that's the thing is, okay, at this point, like, how many people, like, what are the draw odds on moose now? Because that's, that's the thing that breaks that my heart. That is what breaks my yeah. heart about Colorado. Like, Colorado was on an uh, is is literally on this upward trajectory of just epicness on Shiras Moose, and it is going to go away, and that freaking breaks my heart. Yeah, I want to say I'll, I can look real quick. There were fifty thousand applicants for roughly six hundred moose tags, but. You have to realize half of those people right off the bat only put in for a point. So now you've knocked that down to 25,000 people. The 25,000 number is big, but you are only competing against anyone that applied in your specific hunt code. So, right. for example, if you apply in, you know, I don't know, pick, give me a unit 
where where do you like Walden North Park? Those units are pretty well, pretty well picked over to the point where people know to apply there. There's other units in the state where there might only be one or two moose tags. And you might only have 100 or 150 people applying for one or two moose tags. Those odds are not horrible. One in 100, one in 75. Like, I that's feel like the overall. That's a, yeah, that's a, so like, that's a fair assessment. Yeah, so I will give you that. I just, random, random, random numbers. Moose male, so moose bull in unit 47, which is down by, I don't know if that's Aspen. I don't know. You tell me where moose. It's over in that woods. Yeah. Two moose tags, 60 applicants. One in three chance? Yeah. Not That's bad. not horrible. No. I mean, you're 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 at a severe disadvantage living in Kansas. Um, because like unit 49, which is South <laughs> South Park, which you know, South Park yeah. by Fair Play. Yeah. One in three hundred and forty-six. Yeah. For for like bulls for residents, it's eight. Eight tags for 700. So one in 90. Like, I mean, yeah, they suck. I can tell you right now, a guy like you that didn't apply, you have zero chance. No, that's true. But, but, yeah, that's the, that's, that, yeah. 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 But, well, all right. So the whole premise, what we were supposed to, to ju- dive into today, which we can, was it was this, again, I've been on this, this, this questioning kick of this is hunting conservation. And the reason why I wanted to have John Legner on is because he's the guru of all things sheep and goat, especially auction and raffle and deer and elk and bear. Oh my. Um, because there's some controversy around governor and auction tags. And the beautiful thing about it is, is and this kind of came up in, in one of my other previous discussions, the guy that just bought the, you know, the mule deer tag for the strip was 725. What, what, what was it? How much did he spend? I think it was seven twenty, seven twenty or seven twenty-five, something like this. Something just yeah. ridiculous. But not, you know, well, I guess eighty, nine, eight, nine, eighty to ninety percent, depending on the state. Is is Arizona eighty or ninety percent? Um, Arizona, I think, is a hundred percent has to go back on the ground. So that was a that even that the, was a even the even the organization that that does the marketing. They might get to, they might get to keep a, a smidgen of it. So I know Colorado, and I know Colorado pretty well. So Colorado has an auction and raffle tag program for all the big game species, not including bear. So we don't have a bear auction raffle tag. The way it is, the way it is set up, and it has been since 1989, it started with sheep and mountain goat. And the first year they auctioned off one tag and they raffled off one tag for each of those species. One for mount, one raffle for mountain goat, one raffle for bighorn, one auction for bighorn, one auction for mountain goat. They slowly expanded that over the years, but the elk, deer, and antelope have four total tags, two auction, two raffle, and the moose was added one raffle, one auction. The moose raffle, the moose auction, the moose raffle was handled by SCI this year and it sold I don't know, four or 5,000 tickets at 20 bucks a piece. The Colorado sheep tag this year sold for a new record, which was $320,000. Of that money, 
25% gets held by the organization that hosts the tag. 75% goes back to CPW. What's great about the auction raffle tag program in Colorado, one, it's very limited in the scope and breadth of which tags can get auctioned. And by statute, that auction and raffle tag money goes into a pool specific for that species. And once a year, once a year, the auction raffle committee gets together and they dole out money out of that specific fund for those specific species for very specific projects. And the money can't be used for frivolous crap. It must be used for habitat and research. It's not used for, oh, I need a new pickup truck so I can go hey, count so, sheep. It is, so, not, it, is not, it is not used for, you know, general run-of-the-mill expenses. And so and here's, and here's where the controversy comes in, and this is where I get a little bit not grumpy with, but I, I just, let, let me, let me, it's amazing. People look so, so short. <laughs> Easy for you to say. They're so short sighted. When I joined the military. So I, I was in the army. So all the, all the military branches, I'm, I'm pretty sure they all, they all have the, the GI bill, you know, you can, you know, where you, you can put a little money in and you can get, uh, or you get money when you get out of the military, you you get a you get to get some money for education. But the army had the army college fund as well, so it, it was a it was two tiered uh, education fund. But in order to be eligible to get that, your first year of enlistment, you pitch in a hundred dollars a month out of your paycheck. And then once you, it's basically you were building preference points. So you had to pay a hundred dollars a month out of your paycheck that went into a, this little, little pot. And at 12 months, you're, you're good to go. You, you get full benefits of your education fund when you get out. And that's all it's $1,200 investment. You, you spend 1200 of your money. And then the, the federal government, when you get out, gives you a whole freaking shit pile. Like I was getting seven and it's it's stupid how much is getting spent today or or doled out monthly today, but I think I was given getting like seven hundred and some odd dollars a, a month or something like that for for education costs. Like it was crazy. So you, I, I'm I'm just your just just so you know, part of that I believe when the military does things, they don't do anything. Well, they do a lot of stupid shit, but I think the purpose behind that is showing you you need to take money out to put aside. You shouldn't spend all your money. And so that's building good habits. As well, well. It, was it was supposed to because yeah. it was not forced upon you. You had to voluntarily sign the agreement and submit it. And so the first day that you're in there, the, the drill instructors, the drill sergeant, wherever, they're, they're going through all the process. And they're like, all right, here's the paper. Who's, who's getting money for college? And you like 90% raise their hand. But then you got in, the, in a lot of them, and I will say a lot of them were poor inner city kids with with their with their hands down and so of course all the paperwork for the rest of us gets filled out and now they now the drill instructors are like what the hell are you doing like why are you not signing up for this i ain't giving no one my money he's like dude you're it's going to take a hundred dollars you're going to spend 1200 and then you're going to get thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars later nope i'm not going to sign up why? Like they were like just trying to beat this. Like, what are you doing? Like, you 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 invest a little and you get a shit ton later. 
Like, how is this a bad thing? No, you're not going to take my money. You're not going to take, I'm not giving my man my butt. This is exactly the same as what I see in the hunting community because we, we, we love this hashtag hunting is conservation. But then I, I look and, and we don't even have to, we don't have to spend three hours if you don't want to, but we don't have to dive into some of the other stuff I've been talking about lately, lately just from the sheer fact of, okay, your normal hunting dollar. And I, and I talked with the, with this, with, with uh, the guys, a couple podcasts previous to this one, like they pulled up the, where Colorado spends its money. Like your, your license, your elk tag or your deer tag or your pronghorn bear or whatever tag, like how much of that money is actually going and hitting the ground to ensure you have more critters to go after the next year versus how much of that money is going to buy a new pickup truck? How much of that money is going to go, go to buy a new laptop? How much of that money is going to go to pay for training? How much of this is going to go towards, essentially, I'm sorry, how much of that money is just being spent to manage people? Versus okay, and that and that's your and that's the that's the hunting is conservation community that that you know the, the, the claims they hate these uh, governor and auction tags because well governor and auctions only the rich people can afford it you know it's making you know hunting a rich man's sport and it's privatization of of wildlife and, and this isn't the king's game it's like okay number one in in you sent me that article Mother Jones article um, yeah. the sacrificial ram which is, is a great, we'll get to that here in a second, but let's not even talk about the sheer number of dollars that are generated. Yeah, I've, I've, I've talked about that previously. The, the, at this point it's in the millions. Do you think it, do you think it's in the tens of millions at this point, or is it still in the single digit millions for, for which for, for Colorado just combined? Oh, all species. It's tens. Yeah. It's because got- it's, it's tens for sure. I mean, we always say, I think it's the last five or six years, RMBS has raised $3 million. So that's a yeah, pretty- Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right there. We're, so. doing, we're doing 250 to 300,000 a year just in auction and raffle for two species. And I think that the thing people need to realize is if you took the, the dollar figure for in-state tags for bighorn and dollar figure for non-resident bighorn tags, it's only 10%. It's probably $100,000 in income. You can't manage a species statewide on $100,000. Right. We pump in with all the auction and raffle tag money and all the additional stuff, three or four times that amount. Well, we're funding damn close to three or $400,000 a year in projects. The species is not self-funding on licensed fees alone. And so radio collars are expensive. Helicopter time is expensive. Trap and transplants are ridiculously expensive. Habitat. And I tell people, yeah, habitat work is expensive. The number of trap and transplants that have happened in Colorado since the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society has been in existence since 1975 has easily increased the hunting opportunity in the state fourfold. So I would say we would have 50 tags a year if we didn't have trap and transplants and expanses and herd monitoring and habitat work. So there's where your money goes. We have 200 plus ram tags now instead of just having 50 or 60. Right. So when people say, where does my money go? That's one auction tag and one raffle tag that have quadrupled the number of licenses you can possibly draw 
for your license fee. And yeah. that doesn't, that money doesn't come out. It doesn't happen. That's big money. We're talking, these are not cheap projects. And, you know, CPW is not going to invest a ton of money in bighorns because their bread and butter is deer and elk. They spend a lot of money on elk because elk's what pays the bills. Elk's what puts, puts gas in the trucks and, you know, paychecks and all that stuff. That's, that's the money they're going to spend. I won't say bighorns a boutique species, but it's certainly, it's a, it's a high visibility, high value target, but it doesn't pay its own way. But okay. So it, it, you're absolutely right. A couple things there hit me, but the thing is with the elk stuff. Yeah. Okay. hundreds dollars elk licenses are the number one moneymaker in, in, as far as the agency is concerned. But again, we'd go back to most of that money is being spent on just monitoring and just trying to figure out how to manage the, the population and, and how to manage all the people that want to go out there after you're not in that case. It, it, in my argument is at that point, it, we're still not in the realm of conservation. Again, conservation is wise use and you want to be wise about it, but what is actually going on the ground to be used to ensure we're going to have more of these critters later on. And that I'm sorry, the bulk of that is going to come from a handful of auction and raffle tags and, and a, probably a handful of very wealthy individuals as far as the auction tags are that are going to put a un, just a ridiculous amount of money into a program where that money can only be used for on the ground conservation habitat and re, that, that type of stuff. Because here's the other flip side and all organizations are different. And I think the agency looks at these things, but for Rocky mountain bighorn society, you get to retain 25% of that tag. And there's going to be some people who are like, that's a bunch of bullshit. Like, why the hell do you get to keep all the, that's the, that's the public's animal. A hundred percent should go on the ground for that animal. Well, hold on a minute, folks. Take a look at the organization you're working with or you're sponsoring because the 25% that RMBS is retaining is going in, most of it is going into a pot so that RMBS can fund their own conservation projects not just the statewide conservation projects so it's a it's it i it's multiplicative though because we spend money we may not spend money only in colorado we i'd say we're primarily spending money in colorado but we will give money to wild sheep national because they're doing a funding raise fundraising deal for disease research in washington state so people are like, why are you sending our money to Washington State? Well, we're sending our money to Washington State because they're working on a pneumonia MOV vaccine project, which could help our sheep in Colorado. So we're 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 flexible with our money, but I would say we spend it wisely when it comes to is it going to benefit the species in Colorado in the long term? And that's the other thing people have to realize. This is a long, long, long game. We have been right. in this game since 1975, and I would say we could be doing better, but we've made really good progress overall. Most of the available bighorn sheep habitat in Colorado has bighorn sheep in it. The reason we don't have more bighorn sheep and the reason we don't have bighorn sheep 
running all over the landscape like deer, elk, and antelope is disease. So there is a there's a mindset out there, and we talked about her in the first podcast. Janet George, I I asked her why can't we put them here? Why can't we put sheep there? There is a concerted effort to keep certain populations isolated. We do not want a meta mega population that runs from New Mexico to Fort Collins all on the front range and gathering up whatever disease they can and making that one big sheep herd because that would be detrimental for those that don't know large scale die-offs in the forties and early fifties is what caused Colorado to start having a hunting season for their state mammal because overpopulation leads to disease. Is that, I'm not a wildlife biologist, Chris, but no, I, I mean, stayed, I stayed at Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, they, they've got a couple of videos of that on YouTube too. So that, that's yeah. okay. So here's a question for you. The article you told everybody to go take a look, the mother Jones article, which is a very left leaning, very environmental progressive left type publication. Sacrificial Ram basically is the story of this animal enviro person tagging along on a sheep hunt or and doing a story looking into these these governor auction style hunts or these high paid hunts and and trying to wrestle with their own value for animal rights or animal welfare and coming to grips with man we sacrifice one someone pays an ungodly sum of money for it and then that money goes right back into making that species more viable on the landscape. And some of them endangered habitats, some of them endangered species. It's a very parallel story of what you hear about in Africa. You know, the the, the value of hunting in Africa, even if you want to say the evil trophy hunting word, selling a lion hunt and the money that comes into that that goes to be used for conservation on the ground and communities on the ground whether it's an elephant whether it's giraffe whether it's any of the big five whether it's we're talking about just kudu hunts or whatever there are a significant number of people in the environmental and animal activist community that hate them they hate everything about it and do not give two shits about whatever what the, the quote unquote benefits come from it. And the other I, the other benefit piece is when these hunters spend this money, they are generally not only supporting the local economy, hiring guides and outfitters. They are generally targeting animals that are in surplus on the landscape, past prime breeding age, and are a drain. Or in some cases, like I know lions, for example, will go in and kill cubs. Like they are, they're detrimental to the herd health. So like, oh, yeah. I, I feel like there's also that added aspect. Right. So, I mean, it, and it depends on the species and depends on the individual all, that all we're talking about. But the, the thing is, is there are sportsmen in our ranks that vehemently hate these as well. Yeah. Because it's just a, it just because they look at it as it's just a rich man's game. It's just only the rich get to participate that, which is incorrect, by the way, because you can buy a $10 or $20 raffle tag and have a good shot at participating in this as well. 
But they never want to they never want to argue about that part. They just don't like yeah. I don't like the auction tag because because a rich guy can buy his way into obtaining the public uh, a public animal, uh, uh, an animal that belongs to all the people. It's like, hmm, okay. You're in it. I have a fundamental difference in philosophy on that. We know that we could sit here and talk all day long about the benefits of it, but given the fact that you are in Colorado, given we are seeing the direction of our illustrious wildlife commission in Colorado and the governor, what does your gut tell you? Is there a future for governor and auction? Are, are there still... I I'll tell you right now I'm I'm shocked that the point blank let me just spew it out I am shocked Polis still allows it to happen am I, am I wrong in that I I think it, it, this is going to sound weird if I'm saying something positive about the governor I think Polis is enough of a business person and I think the benefits of the dollars raised far outweigh the negativity of one auction raffle tag or two auction raffle tags being sold at auction or raffled off the dollar figure that those things bring in, you know, we've been recognized at the RMBS as the top dollar bringer to the table, probably for the, probably since the inception of the program. But we, when you look at all the tags we have, you know, sheep, goat auction, or sheep goat raffle. We don't have the auction tag anymore. We actually lost the auction tag three years ago now to the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance because somebody what? on the Wildlife Commission, yeah, somebody thought didn't think it was fair that we had all the tags. So we had at one point we had five, and now we only have four. So that the auction tag went away because they didn't have the capability or a raffle license to run the raffle. So they basically make twenty-seven, thirty thousand dollars on a tag. They get they it gets auctioned off. You know we're missing out on twenty-five percent of thirty thousand dollars. It's not going to make or break the RBS, but it's just one, no, one little. But couldn't you do better for the resource by taking it somewhere else? We, we took it. We, we take it. We took it. They take it the same place we did. So there was a oh, net okay, zero. Okay, okay. All right, there all was right. a net zero gain. Okay. But we've we've run. I mean, I don't know if you remember when we were on the board. We were running two thousand to twenty five hundred raffle tickets on sheep and a thousand to fifteen hundred on goat. We're in excess of six or seven thousand for sheep right now, and in excess of four or five thousand for goat. What's crazy is, and you're selling out of them. No, we don't limit them. So oh, oh, we, oh, you're just leaving, let them go. Yeah. So for for Colorado, the only limitation in Colorado is dollar. You can't charge more than twenty five dollars for the ticket. So that that means everybody can play. Hundred percent. That's, that's a large just piece. So, just so the guy that complains about the rich guy buying the uh, auction tag doesn't complain about the rich guy buying all the raffle tickets, you can only buy twenty five tickets per person. It is non-transferable. So we do, we are cautious about those numbers and we, it, it takes us more small transactions to make money. But up until last year or up until this year, last couple of years, the raffle tags have actually made more money than the auction tag. I know we, I know we won't get to $320,000 in raffle ticket sales for Bighorn this year. So the Bighorn raffle will not make as much as the auction tag this year. 
But those two tags, if you do the math, I mean, I think honestly, 6,500 tags will be sold this year. Uh, 6,500 cheap tickets will be sold. That's $162,500. Add that to the one auction tag of 320. You're talking $482,000 for two sheep. Right. Now here's here's the other. Here's, here's the other thing that, that I don't think people understand the value of these, like how, like, if you want to say hunting is conservation, get your un, unass your head from just your general, your general hunting license dollars and start, it start really embracing your head around. You want to put your money towards conservation. You want to be a conservationist. This is where you go. This is where you put the money because it's not only just like, here we are sheer dollars. Okay. Here, sheer dollars. We already just said that these are earmarked. They have to go on the ground for these species for like truly habitat related, research related, like move, like creating new populate, moving pop, doing translocations and, and creating new populations. Okay. That's, that's some conservation shit right there. But here's the other part that I think is valuable that people on don't either don't know or undervalue. You buy your doubt your twenty five dollar or what I don't or forty five dollar. What's a what's a resident elk tag these days? Forty five. I think it's forty nine. Forty nine. I don't know. Here that money that money goes to the division. How much say does the average public have in where that money gets spent? Zero, according Zero. to the current wildlife. <laughs> Zero, exactly. Now here's the question: What? public involvement is there on the, the auction and raffle stuff. Well, that's an interesting question, Chris. 60, yeah. Go ahead. $62 for an elk tag these days. 62? 62 72 I think it went mine, up. Mine's, mine's it almost. Mine, it went up because of Joe Biden. Mine, mine's almost 700 so piss off. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say? <laughs> no, the, how do you, the, the how do you, beautiful. The thing that I like about the governor and auction tag stuff is the organizations that are involved with auction or raffling or auctioning off these tags are given a representative seat at the table for the actual spending of those dollars, meaning Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society. Do you guys send two people? Is it still two people? Uh, we so because we have and this is where it gets a little sticky. People think that we kind of flood the market with or flood the meeting with our people. Since we have three of the four mountain goat sheep tags, we actually do send two people. But they're usually pretty smart people, like Melanie Wollover, who worked for the Forest Service for 40 years, who was on our board. Yes. And handled all the species in Colorado for the Forest Service, sits on our board. She yes. usually attends. Yes. Our executive director, Terry Myers, who has been literally neck deep in bighorn sheep game for the last dozen years in Colorado. He kind of came in when you and I went out, but he is as versed and is well groomed in like all the different units and like. He's big in the grazing buyouts. He's big in like the disease management. Like he is, I mean, 
I don't know if you know, he is actually a paid employee by our, of, of ours now. So we pay I, yeah, him to do. Yeah. yeah. Fine, I mean, we, it fine. got to the point. It, well, yeah, it got to the point where, you know, you need to write environmental impacts. You got to invite comments. You got to follow up with BLM, Forest Service, CPW, you know, issue papers come out. We're going to, you know, put a, we're going to put a housing development in Vail along I-70 in the one sliver of, land that the bighorn can winter on um and we actually they actually terry helped produce a video about the bighorns which you can find online which is a great informational thing and like i think that's one of the first examples where non-hunters and hunters came together and said hey listen we're not going to allow this this bighorn sheep herd to disappear just so we can have cheap employee housing for the city of Vail. like that right. that's a win for me so right Right. And so yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing we advocate all over the place. We advocate for, you know, for new sheep terrain. We advocate for habitat. We advocate for counts. We advocate for numbers. You know, we advocate, like I told you in the first call for reissuing tags, which were going in the trash. Like right. we are there for not only the resource of the sheep, but for the sheep hunter. And that's why I tell people spend your 40 bucks or whatever it is to be a member. We put out a newsletter still. And if you ever do draw one of those tags, you're going to have friends in the Bighorn Society that are going to know somebody that knows somebody probably in the unit that you drew a tag for. So that's I my wish, that's my. I, I, that? I, I really do wish. I mean, I I mean, the elk found the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is good on many levels, and it's got its limitations on many levels. But I really wish there was an elk organization, like a state organization, that was doing stuff for elk like you guys do for I, I'm a, I'm still a life member of RMBS, but like I'm not in the trenches anymore. Like you guys do, because that's the thing is my, uh, so two things there. One to continue with my thought, if you want to have a say in what's going on, and if you want to have a, a if you want to have a, a, a I don't know what, like a connect, like an actual connection. Like you, you want input and you want to have, um, you want to see the accountability. You can go to any of these, all the, the board meetings are public. You can go to those board meetings. You can literally sit and either listen in on the board, having a discussion. You can raise your hand, be a part of the discussion, ask questions and all that type of stuff. And then because those boards, when, when the projects come down the line, for those sheep, goat type projects, they're going to discuss it at that board meeting. It's going to go round and round and round. You're going to be able to listen in what the, what the discussion is. And then when those guys, those representatives of your organization go to the meeting with the agency, they have a vote on what money gets spent where, why, and how. And you actually, you're, like you can go sit before the wildlife commission or you can try to track somebody down in, in the, the state agency and try to plead your case. Or can you plead your case better before a, a body of 10 people, 15, 20 people and, and people that are going to going to go there and then they're going to actually advocate for exact things on the ground, your representation, your voice. If you want to, you want a connection to conservation and a voice in conservation, this is where you do it. This this is the easy place to do it, where you actually yeah. can move the needle. 
if, if for those of that want to get involved or want to do something, I'd say come to a banquet, come to, you know, the hunter meet and greet volunteer for a sheep count. We've got an online, you know, I want to volunteer button. But the, the coolest thing is to me, once I got into the organization and once I got really embedded with the RMBS, the opportunities to help CPW employees on the ground and do things for sheep expands immensely. Right. Exactly. The other thing I think is probably unique to our organization is the biologists, the folks in the field, you know, the big game, you know, Andy Holland, who's a big game manager, they call us when they have a bighorn sheep issue question and they solicit our input, which is really counter to the way a lot of other agencies are. We work very collaboratively with them in terms of, hey, we've got an idea. We want to, you know, we want to, we want to add a, you know, you hunt to this unit. When any of those issue papers, which is the preliminary step in the Wildlife Commission approving a change, an issue paper comes out stakeholders contacted anytime there is anything to do with bighorn sheep rocky mountain bighorn society has been contacted so yeah. we usually know one with our our you know good network of on the ground members in specific units but we also have a network of people that the division will ask us questions right and i don't i don't know that that happens with a lot of other agencies or organizations I, i'd and, say it's very collaborative and, and that's a very good uh, clarification because I was just, in my mind, I was going down the road. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this, me being the elk guy. And people are like, I don't give a shit about sheep. Like, I don't, like, I don't care. Or mountain goats. I like, I don't give a crap. I don't want to be, I don't want to go to a board meeting and listen in on habitat project stuff with sheep. Cause I don't care. I, I'm more elk or I'm more mule deer or whatever. Okay. That's fine. There are other organizations that you can still go hit your, you know, go and attend and listen in on or, or engage in and, and share information with because they're organ they're doing the same thing on the deer and the elk side. This is this, all this process happens the exact same way. Now, what I will say with you is I don't like, yeah, I, I obviously I've been in there. I know how much the agency pulls from the expertise of RMBS. I don't know how much the, agency pulls from any expertise on any other organization other than Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I'm sure that the CMD, you know, Colorado Mule Deer Association has some, something in there. Maybe the Mule Deer Foundation has something in there, but it's just, it, that's just going to have to be on the, 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 whoever's listening that wants to get involved. You're just going to have to have to pay attention and just do your homework that the, that the organizations that are involved with these, Find out exactly who's going to these meetings and, and who's representing you at these um, auction raffle tag meetings. Because <clears throat> I will say, I'm finally, uh, I, you, you've got to, I, I was advocating, some of us were advocating for a, a paid position in the RMBS for a very, very long time. Because there was way too much. It, I've said it recently. I, I think the days of amateur hobby advocacy are done. They, they've got to be done. There's there's too much work to be done. It, it's way too serious. And the other side is out there nonstop. I'm glad that you. I'm glad you guys got Terry in there. And it, it's it's about time. Organizations need to start putting dollars where they're going to be leveraged as best as possible. Sometimes that's on the mountain. 
And as I, I, I know it might, again, I, I railed against Catherine Johnson of National Wildlife Federation. I'll never forget that freaking meeting. Bighorn Room. I remember exactly where I was sat when she was doing the National Wildlife Federation was trying to force the the ESA listing of blacktail prairie dog. And it was going to cost it cost sportsmen of Colorado the two to two, two million some odd dollars to to just jump through all the hoops that National Wildlife Federation forced them to do. I sat point blank, looked together. I'm like, how much money is National Wildlife Federation going to put on, you know, towards this effort? Point blank, deadpan, the room stirred, look right at me. She goes, National Wildlife Federation money is better spent litigating than it is putting money on the ground. I'm like, oh, 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 I just, I just wanted to leap across the table. But I was like, yeah, there you go. So understanding we need to put money, big money on the ground. There is something to be said about putting money into a whether it's a, an executive director that knows what the freaking hell they're doing is moving the needle. Or whether, depending on the organization, whether we're talking about putting a lobbyist in the Capitol and working tightly with legislators, agency folks, commission folks, and like trying to move the needle. I mean, this is where I think we got to get smart and we got to get more professional. And again, RMBS, you guys, you guys did a good job in, on starting down that. You know, and, and given that you're a state a state organization, you're not the national RMEF or you're not national FNAS, Foundation for North American Wild Sheep. You're not a national organization. You're a state organization that has got somebody working full time on this issue. Most most of the Western states right now that have fairly sizable bighorn sheep herds. I know for sure Wyoming, Montana, and I believe Idaho and Nevada all now have paid people working for them. And it, it's just a, it, it, it's a maturing of the organization. You know, when it first started, everybody got by on, we're going to go cut down some oak brush and throw some guzzlers out. We need you there on Saturday for 10 hours. Like that used to be what moved the needle. And to your point, the needle gets moved now in a much different way. It is a much, it's a much more litigious organization that we are dealing with. And it is a much more fact-based, like it's not the good old boy network. You better have your ducks in a row. And I mean, I, I watched part of the Wildlife Commission meeting today. You get two minutes or three minutes to say your piece. And if you do not have your ducks in a row and have a clear, concise, fact-based opinion, not that it matters much, you get dismissed in about 0.2 seconds. And the other part of that is a lot of the negotiations happen prior to that meeting in closed room discussions, emails, phone calls, meetings that, you know, you're like, hey, by the way, can I talk to you about this? I mean, we used to move the needle by meeting with CDOW employees on a fairly regular basis, semi-annually, and just try to get things to, you know, get things talked out so we didn't fight in front of everybody. And, and sometimes, so. and sometimes relatively unannounced when we just walk into their office during during the work during the work day, we're like, hey, guess who's here? How about we have a conversation yeah. about these uh, allocations, or or what's going to happen with these tags? Where 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 did the money go for this? That and... <laughs> they have they have security at the door now. You can't get in without getting 
passed away. I, 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 I finally, I, I, with fond memories, I, I remember back on that day walking back into that office, and he just sat there, looked at us like, "Oh no, <laughs> is that Rick Con?" Well, uh, no. Who was the? Who was the? Uh, Rick, absolutely. I mean, no. Who was the guy that was in charge of? Um, oh golly, I brought the game. He no, he was he was money because there was an issue with where. Mo- oh yes, the accounting was not correct on our auction raffle. Funds. Correct, correct. And we kept asking. We kept. I don't asking. remember who that was. I know, and I'm blanking. No, but I I remember because we kept asking, and they would just he just kind of just blow it off, just kind of blow yeah. it off, blow it off, and so we just I don't. Why were we down there? We were down there during where's, the day. Where's that office? I know. Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name, but yeah. We just walked. We just walked down the hallway to his <laughs> office, and he's like, "Oh, like just, just his eyes are like this big." Guess who? Guess who got the information by the next meeting? <laughs> we got it. So, I would, I was going to say, you know, you're you're talking to people that probably might not be bighorn sheep aficionados, but I would say if they have any desire or they have any plans to become a bighorn sheep tag drawer or holder, come hang out with some bighorn sheep guys. And I, I, I run into this all the time. People are like, oh, I drew a sheep tag, but I don't have anybody that knows anything about them. I don't know anybody that can go with me. And I'm like, well, you probably need better friends first, but <laughs> you're only going to get one sheep tag. So find some new friends and find some people that are sheep A people. network. Because a network of good sheep hunters is it's one of the greatest things you'll ever come across. They're now, all good people. All right. So I agree with that. But let's just just let's go on the other side of that equation for the deer and elk folks. Um, I know Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. They've got folks that do. They've got folks there. So Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is usually represented at those meetings. Yep. Is Colorado Mule Deer Association? Do they yep. still have tags? Colorado Mule Deer Association will be there. Um, Mule Deer Foundation will be there. SCI will be there. Um, and Colorado Wildlife Federation. I think those are the most. So adjust- see, okay, so so Colorado. So I don't. It's, it's been so damn long. I don't remember if they're paid. Or if they're just volunteers, for Colorado, which ones? What's that? Well, they're all all the above. So I mean, so Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. There's, those- I think they, they they've got state directors and paid. They have paid employees. Yeah. I believe Mule Deer does. I think uh, Suzanne O'Neill from Colorado Wildlife Federation is. I think the only she one paid? that is. I think so. Uh, it doesn't. I mean, at years. this point. I was just going to say, at this point, it doesn't matter because she's in everything and she always has been. Yeah. I believe, I, I can't imagine she's done that for free for this long, but maybe she has. Uh, I don't think SCI has a paid employee. So for the most part, it's it's probably about three quarters of them are paid. Because Suzanne Roller now is working, she's working with, she's working for Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation now, right? I don't know her. Don't know her name. What? How do you not know Suzanne? I don't know. So I think, so again, the reason why I'm saying that is, so Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society is like it, like that's it. There's only one, there's no, there's no regional chapter of Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society. Whereas Elk Foundation, you've got all these different regions. 
So if you want to get in, in involved on the elk side, that one gets a little bit more tricky. Just there's there's a larger ladder chain of command like involvement there. So oh, yeah. do do your just kind of spend some time and do some research on on who's like what chapters are doing what, who's going where, and how do you get involved if you want to get into stuff. But again, if you want to be the guy or gal that wants to be involved with moving the needle, these organizations I think are the way to do that, as opposed to just going before the wildlife and, and, and I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not even putting in this wildlife commission. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this wild this is a different animal. No pun intended. This, this one is just even before. Right. And it, it's interesting too that the passion and we keep talking about this and I, it kind of hits me. It's like, it seems, and I'm not, I am not saying that this is the case and I might be wildly talking out of, out of my ass here, but my perception is, it seems like the reason why there's just such this different level of passion for sheep, goat, maybe moose is because it is so limited. It is such a, like this thing that I'll never be able to grasp. And then all of a sudden you're like, <gasps> it's like, it's like this little, this little magical nugget. It's like the golden ticket. Like, Oh my gosh, I got it. You're like, whereas an elk or a mule deer tag, eh, I'm just going to go elk hunting. I'm going to go mule deer hunting. And it's ubiquitous. You go every year. And and the other flip side, though, John, I think the other part of it is you the, the sheep, goat, moose folks. Like you get to go like, let's just just call it what it is. The sheep, RMBS, sheep folks. You can literally go volunteer on the sheep trap and put hands on an animal. Help with pulling them out of a net. Help with blindfolding them, help with hobbling them, help holding them, blah, 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 while the biologist and the vet is doing all the stuff to get them ready for either research stuff or pick them up and put them in a freaking trailer or where they're going to go and, and haul them out. Like you get to, like you get to engage in an active functioning conservation thing. You don't get to do that with elk or mule deer. You know what I mean? Like like you can go do a habitat project, but like how many like how many hands-on stuff do you get to do? Like are you even done with elk? Like what like what's like what if you want to do hands on, hands on thing I can, Yeah, the only hands-on thing I can think of helping CPW with elk is shooting them in the San Luis Valley. There I'm you gonna, go. Either, it, the it, yeah, it, or 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 if you want, just go, you know, do do a ride along with a game warden up in Estes Park and hope that you can yeah. have a, another one. We got to tranquilize one and, and wrestle yeah. a, a dream catcher out of his, his antlers. All right. Here's another question for you. You mentioned it a moment ago and I had it written down from the past. What's going on with sheep allotments? OK, so you guys are involved. You, so for those that are. You, John has mentioned it. Anybody that follows bighorn sheep understands, even to a little lesser degree, wild sheep and domestic sheep are closely related enough where domestic sheep can have diseases and be all right, whereas the wild sheep have no, it just wipes them out. Like they have no tolerance for it. So there is a very, very strong 
management desire and conservation desire to separate, keep wild sheep away from domestic sheep to the greatest extent possible at all costs. And the problem is, is you get these rams, young rams that decide to go on a walkabout and they're like, I'm taking off. And they just freaking head across the landscape and they can go for dozens and dozens of miles and then end up in a somebody's domestic sheep herd that there's only one way that that ends. And that, that sheep, that wild sheep is put down because it ain't, it ain't getting put back in. So there was talk in the past, and this is, I think, where I kind of, I, one of my last involvements with RMBS back in the day, Melanie was there. There was talk about trying to put together a comprehensive plan with the Forest Service to retire some of these old legacy sheep allotments. Because in Colorado, and, and anybody that listened to my podcast with uh, Cliff Gray, there's a lot of domestic sheep. Uh, the, the, there's not as many as there used to be, but there's still a lot of domestic sheep in Colorado, domestic sheep grazing. And a lot of that domestic sheep grazing does occur on high elevation, alpine, subalpine pastures on public lands in the summer. And so those grazing areas are chunked up in allotments. So a person gets this allotment and that allotment. Okay, so big pastures on the mountain. Well, because the sheep industry has taken a step back and they're not as prolific as they used to be, and because the Forest Service wants to rotate these allotments, there are some allotments that aren't that maybe haven't been used in recent years or they haven't flat out been used in like decades. And so there was talk about saying, okay, well, how about... <clears throat> We just get rid of them, make them go away. To it, the sheep industry, the wool growers were like, the freaking hell you will. Like, it, 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 they, they took it as an affront to sheep grazing on public lands. They don't want to lose any more ground than they've already lost. They want to preserve every, it's no, I look at it as like no different than the second, second amendment community. Like I have a principal belief in the second amendment. And it keeps getting whittled and whittled and whittled and whittled. And I'm losing and losing and losing and losing. So I'm going to fight everything tooth and nail to keep everything that I have. Damn it. Obviously, that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> at, least not when I, at least when I was there. Because this was one of the examples I gave is <clears throat> when, you, when you get into these very impassioned discussions and you're trying to reach a compromise, the thing that frustrated the shit out of me and I love the, the I, I have no ish, uh, ill will towards the wool growers or anybody like that, or stock growers or whatever. <clears throat> the problem was, is you'd go to a meeting, we'd, we'd have a discussion, knock down, drag out intellectual debate. We'd, we'd come to some agreement, agree to disagree, and we'd come up to some com compromise. And we'd be like, all right, well, let's schedule the next meeting. And then next meeting we'll show up and, and then we'll, we'll try to work on the next thing. Well, we'd show up at the next meeting and immediately we'd be back arguing what we just settled the meeting before but now we've got to compromise now everybody wants to compromise on what we already compromised from before so now the compromise is already more compromised and it never went to the bighorn sheep side so it really kind of dissolved and, and didn't go anywhere 
Then, so the, oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. As I say, the, the bottom line is there are a lot of sheep allotments in Colorado that overlap, like you mentioned. There is a strong sheep lobby, but there is now significantly better science to prove domestic sheep are indeed killing wild, wild sheep, sheep when they come in contact. There's a film out there called Transmission. I would ask everybody to go watch it. Um, bring your freaking tissues because it's a tearjerker, believe it or not. And Transmission basically is it's filming. It's I think it's BC and they're filming um, a local sheep herder who has domestics. And they've had a persistent problem. And the problem is it doesn't kill all the sheep. And so you have persistent carriers where the sheep go through their natural cycle. They get pregnant. Lambs are born. Lambs have no immunity. Lambs die. And maybe you get one out of 10 that survives. Like it, it is so pathetic to watch. But what they've come up with now is a way to test the, the wild sheep on the landscape. And those sheep are now carriers for, even if they never mix with the domestic, they're now a carrier that are continually infecting the same herd. And what they found is they do test and remove. So they've got a way to test them. It's real time, it's rapid. And you might've trapped 40 sheep and two of them test hot. Well, you sacrifice two sheep out of that herd and see what happens. And they've had really good success with that. Idaho, Washington, and in BC in this one area. The problem we have in Colorado is most of our sheep are pretty damn wild. We have, we have, we're blessed with a lot of high mountain valleys and high mountain sheep herds. Yeah, you'll see them on the side of the highway, Colorado Springs, like we talked about, I-70, Georgetown. But some of these south, southwestern Colorado, they winter at 12 and 13,000 feet on windswept ridges, and you'll never see them down by a road where you can get a helicopter net gun to them or a drop net or anything like that. So we've made progress. <clears throat> I can say we have helped some sheep allotments be retired or converted. And that's the other big piece to this puzzle. Allotments for grazing are designated AMUs, animal something units. Where it's yeah. a, animal and it can be like, yeah. And it can be like five sheep equals one cow and a calf. And so if you convert that to cat, cattle, cattle don't necessarily carry the same disease that domestics do because they're not close enough related. You can put cattle on the landscape and it doesn't impact the sheep. Um, if I, I, the scenario that I give people, and it, it actually came to light during COVID, people didn't realize like, if you had a novel pathogen in your family, everybody gets sick. Some people get it worse than others. It's very similar to that. But just imagine it continually repeats and repeats and repeats and you never get better. They cough, they, they end up with um, pneumonia and it's basically a, it's a complex microorganism that causes them to cough to the point where they can't keep their lungs clear and they basically suffocate to that. It's a horrible way to go. Yeah. Some of them do recover, but they're scarred. Their lungs are scarred. And some of them do recover, but they're now carriers and they continue to infect. So it's it's a problem and it always has been. And it's, you know, it it's what's holding wild sheep back from a major comeback in Colorado. 
Um, you know, certain areas in certain national forests, pay at national forests in the Idaho, uh, state of Idaho, they have removed domestics from that forest and the sheep are actually flourishing and doing pretty well. So there have been in the states that have sheep, there have, there have been a lot of things that have made progress. Wyoming retired a lot of allotments. I would say the RMBS is continuing to work on it. The problem is if you want to buy somebody out of their business and it could have been passed down for three or four generations prior to this person having it, that's a really tough thing for them to swallow. Hey, I want to, you know, quit the business that my great, great grandfather started. You know, when we came to this country, we were sheep herders and we still do it because that's the way we came to it. So like, it is a really tough, it's, it's a, it's a moral dilemma because you don't want to put somebody out of business, but it's also, if, if my beer company was polluting a lake or a stream and killed all the fish in there, you're damn sure somebody's going to come stop us from doing that. But we could say, well, we were here since this last century. Well, that's not the way it works. Right. Like if you're polluting the landscape and killing wild animals, something needs to change. And we just have not gotten to that level of severity with one, it's federal because it's a lot of wildlife related stuff that's ag related. And so you don't want to step on ag's toes because they do and are big fans of wildlife. It's just that it, you can't get past, I can't get past the science. I mean, I've got a degree in microbiology and I cannot get past the science. There is 100%, no doubt in my mind, domestic sheep will make wild sheep sick. And I won't say it's 100% of the time, but I would guess it's well in excess of 90% of the time. Now, so, when you, okay, yeah, so, that's, that's kind of the situation. Okay. So when you guys say you guys have been involved with, with helping or assisting or, you know, retiring these allotments, what does that mean? Are you, are you spending money and, and so, you're, you're spending money to the forest service and, and getting the allotment or are you buying out the, the, the sheep family? We are not doing the buying. We are sometimes funding willing participants in a retirement through a third party. So we don't ever get into the, I'll give you X number of dollars per acre, per allotment, whatever it is. We let somebody else find a willing participant who's elderly and doesn't have any, you know, young kids or young, you know, family members that want to get into sheep herding. And we tell them, hey, listen, you know, cattle would be a good conversion for this if you agree to permanently retire with the Forest Service because they're like water rights. Like they're passed down from generation to generation. They have, there's, you know, there's a family heirloom quality to them. Um, so you have to find a willing participant. So we've been successful working with a third party to get some allotments retired. And I would say like in specifically in the Southwest part of the state, there's probably room for, we, we had this, you know, philosophical discussion with CPW and with our, you know, internal board. Let's set a goal of 10,000 sheep on the landscape for Colorado. Let's boost it from 7,500 to 10,000. What would that take? And then when you get down to the nitty gritty, the problem is it's not lack of habitat. It's not lack of winter range. It's not lack of forage, and we certainly have sheep for it. It's lack of free space unencumbered by allotments where the risk is too high. 
So like BLM, I don't want to say they have like a seven mile boundary. They don't want domestics and wilds within seven miles. Well, you and I both know if I, you and I can cover seven miles in a half a day, a sheep certainly can. Yeah. Right. So that doesn't necessarily work. Fencing doesn't work. You know, herders on the landscape with, you know, great Pyrenees doesn't work. The landscape needs to be devoid of domestics. And so that's where the rub is. If we had zero domestics in the whole state, we still have hobby farms. So like I can give you a ton of examples where a kid gets a goat because goats and sheep both can be detrimental to wild sheep. Hobby farm in Georgetown, right along Clear Creek in the dead center middle of S32. I'm up on a sheep count in December and I see a goat. I'm like, like a domestic brown and tan goat. I'm like, what in the actual hell is going on here? Oh, well, they have goats there and they don't always stay in the fence. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay, so, so pause, a minute, pause a minute. Because yeah. when I, okay, so that's got to be somewhat recent science then, if that's the case. Because when I was in, when I was involved with RMBS, I thought there was a dividing line between goats and sheep. Goats were not necessarily a problem. Sheep were the problem. Are they saying well, goats are the problem now? No, domestic, domestic goats don't necessarily carry the same MOV. They carry, um, uh, like a pink eye disease, it it was really uh, it uh, it came to light in Arizona with desert bighorn. Some subdivision or municipality was doing a goat weed eating, you know, yeah. green yeah. environmental, and everybody didn't think it was a problem until it became a problem. And next thing you know, sheep and or sheep were in contact with the domestic goats, and sheep started dying left and right. All right, so it so, has been documented. So it's not necessarily as big of an issue, but it is certainly, it's not something I'd want to mess with. So well yes, then, both of them. Then, then let me just, let's just, just jump. Okay. I'll put a pin in it because I want to continue down this. I, I want to continue down. Damn it. Which one do I want to go with? Let, let's go this. I, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ship segue to. So what about the popularity of pack goats? There are states. Like, like how much that, that's the thing is as how much it, are we talking? There needs to be nose to nose contact or are we talking about goat feces in an area? Can I believe you know, it's nose to nose respiratory saliva contact. So right, nose to nose is. So that would be highly, it would be highly unlikely that people that are engaged in using pack goats who usually have them right there with them in some capacity or, or somewhat contained, it theoretically should be a low probability of an issue. But I mean, except, pack goats are more and more popular. Yeah, except on one of the Colorado hunting forums where this guy said, oh, I lost my pack goats. They usually don't go anywhere. I didn't tie them up at night. Oh, and they were... Yeah. On the southern border of Rocky Mountain National Park in Arapaho National Forest in known bighorn sheep terrain. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, there you I go. So, so yeah. I mean, I see that I see that post on the on the website and on the forum, and I send it immediately to the DWM who monitors that area. And the same thing goes, we have a there's actually in the southwestern part of the state a bighorn sheep observation 
for backcountry hunters and anglers, if you see a domestic in any of these areas or a wild sheep in with domestics, please report to us. Yeah. So like we've got signage at some of the trailheads explaining what's, you know, that's what we do as the Bighorn Society. We we're there to educate. That's one of our big, big things. So we'll educate and then people will send Terry pictures. Oh, I was up in so-and-so and I saw this domestic or I saw this wild sheep in with domestics. And the faster we can get that information with good, accurate GPS grids, coordinates, we can send a CPW employee up there and they will remove that sheep. Like there is no, there's no, we don't even mess with, well, maybe it didn't get close enough. Well, maybe it's not sick. When domestics and wild sheep are found in close proximity to one another, domestics lose out. Sad to say. So back to the allotment thing. I'm, I'm listening to this and I cannot help but see the parallel. So, and, and I, I'm not saying I'm, my brain falls on either side of this, this, this dichotomy. They're not dichotomy. Irony. So we have a value for wild sheep on the landscape. We have a value for wild sheep conservation uh, across habitats. We have a lesser value, shall we say, for domestic grazing allotments in some of these areas where bighorn sheep are or could be. And so we as the conservation community, sheep enthusiast conservation community are engaged in retiring these people, which that if, if it's voluntarily and, and we retire, that's one thing, or am I, was it just a wives tale or were there people buying up the allotments from the forest service? There is a buying up, but they don't change hands very often. That's, that's the part. Like it's a pass down from generation to generation. Could you buy one out? Could Chris and John go buy a sheep allotment? Yeah, but then we would buy it and choose not to graze sheep. We still have to pay the forest service, so we have no income. So yes, there's a retire and buyout, or retire and buyout are probably the same term. But you could buy somebody's allotment and choose not to graze it. But I could pay somebody to not graze for five years and then stop paying them and then go back in on the sixth year. So what's the point of that? You really want to retire. Okay. I, I, I hear you. There was a little bit, it got a little garbled up there, but I think everybody can hear that. So, okay. Okay. So, so then, so then I go, I, 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 my little, I cannot help, but my have, I've got to turn my little devil loose every now and then. So he can breathe. How fundamentally is that different than an animal activist putting in and drawing for a grizzly bear hunt and then not what, you know, going and using, you know what I mean? Basically their value set is I don't want bear hunting. Their value set is we need more bears in the landscape. I disagree with, you know, the, the, the direction, of the agency and blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to participate in this and I'm going to take, 
one of these off the landscape and I will choose not to use it. Like, do you see my point? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I know that that was an issue when Wyoming had their first year grizzly hunt, but here's the deal. I don't think there are enough anti hunters that would want to get into that game that would want to. That's not, that's the that's, system. That's, that's how not, many of these, they got to get a hunter safety card. No, 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 John, 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 John. I don't give a shit if they do or don't. I'm just Was going back. I'm just going back to the sportsman dialogue. Sportsmen lost their ever-loving shit about that possibility. These blah blah blah. This bunch of bullshit. Blah 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 blah. Meanwhile, all that discussion about how how just angst we are, the sportsman community. I I I I see myself standing squarely in the middle of of a of of my family's sheep, you know, operation. Going, goddamn motherfucker, those freaking sheep, freaking wild sheep fanatics, running us off the freaking landscape, pushing us. But competing value sets, man. It's it's funny to see one group, the sportsman group, champion one thing. And lose their ever-loving shit over another when it's the, it's two sides of the same coin. <laughs> it's how how can we use this? How, how can we how can we game the system to our advantage for our for our value set? Isn't isn't that what everybody always does? Oh yeah. I, again, I just I just take pleasure in pointing it out and just laughing at at the <laughs> at the at the dichotomy because that's the thing is there's a lot of people that I mean they're probably listening to this and, and going I don't give a blank and blank and blank blank and blank thing about anybody that grazes public lands that runs sheep and they're like run them off get rid of them the blank blank they don't have a, they shouldn't be up there but it's like okay so you're so in other words your value set here is very closely aligned to many environmentalists. And animal activists that say we shouldn't have any federal public lands grazing whatsoever. And you're like, well, yeah, I'm aligned in that. I'm like, okay, so so you give them also there's got momentum. And then when they don't want our value on the landscape, well, hold on a minute. No, 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 no. Uh, like I didn't like I don't like them, so they can go. But like, no, you don't come after me because like I no, I I have a right to be here. I got a right to hunt and blah blah blah. It's like you better kind of get your head screwed on like just like think things through here a minute it's just well and it's i i'd say it's very similar to any of the stuff that goes on right now you cannot put the norms of today on his on history and so the part of that you know the part that you know the sheep were here when settlers came here the sheep were here as a food source the sheep were here as a wool source the sheep in Colorado supposedly provided wool for uniforms for World War II for our soldiers. So like, you know, that caused the downfall because they increased sheep for sheep meat for sheep wool. That's one of the things that caused a downfall of sheep in Colorado in the 30s. Wild 40s. Yeah, wild sheep because we needed to win a World War II. Well, like it's so interconnected. And I mean, everybody tries to do the right thing. My gut tells me if there's a reasonable solution to retire allotments that's the most beneficial thing for wild sheep and i'll always go to bat for wild sheep like if it's right for wild sheep let's figure out a way to do it i mean i I argue with and this is one of the it's similar but different texas and audats 
So Texas audads carry disease that are detrimental to wild sheep. So if you have an audad in a wild sheep habitat, shouldn't we eradicate all the audads? Well, Texas fishing game or wildlife, whatever, they're like, we're never going to have bighorn sheep on the landscape in as many places as we have audads. So the moral dilemma was the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society was selling or raffling audad hunts to raise money for wild sheep, whereas the audad was like the, the downfall of sheep in those areas. Yeah. Mean, meanwhile, they are a sheep, they are a ram, and they do yeah. count towards, I mean, so there are people that love to, I mean, let alone just going and hunting Audad for the, the sake of hunting Audad, they want to collect all the different sheep of the world. And so they value Audad. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's the same thing with the Ibex on the Florida mountains in Southern New Mexico, outside Deming. They are displacing native wildlife, quail and mule deer, desert mule deer. And they've taken a tactic down there that they are, they're introduced and in, but not invasive, I guess. I don't know what the different, I guess they're non-native introduced. Invasive comes here not yeah. purposefully, right? I don't know. But that's the same, same thing. Like I've hunted Ibex three different times. That's a freaking awesome hunt. I love going down there. I would never get a chance to hunt desert sheep in the Florida mountains because there'd be one tag. Right. So like the opportunity cost of having another animal on the landscape is, I don't know. Is it a good trade-off? Is it a bad trade-off? All right. Well then, let's, okay. Then John, let's snowball off of that one. Why not? Let's, <laughs> let's talk about mountain goats versus bighorn sheep in Colorado. There's many, I've got to believe they still are. Well, hell, the, the Holy Cross wilderness area, that was, uh, according to Ron Velarde and, and some of the other guys, that was a no-go zone for any mountain goat whatsoever. Like if a mountain goat crosses this maginal line, it's dead. We're going to kill it. Meanwhile, here's a couple freaking are are the are there still billies up on the Buffalo Peaks? Um, well, no, because they do the uh, they do the depredation special tags on. No, see, that's how I got my tag. So my 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 goat tag was the first year that they opened up uh, G17. They 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 were using Mount Massive. And that unit as the kind of the, that's the buffer. Like we need to suppress, like massively suppress this population. So they don't continue to move North up into the Holy cross. But that's the same, same thing they do in Rocky Mountain national park. If a goat sets foot in Rocky Mountain national park, they'll remove it. So we have G 15, which is I 70 North from Loveland pass Eisenhower tunnel clear up to winter park birth it passed that whole area up there that is a very very difficult unit with a extremely low goat population of like single digit to 15 individuals and that is the buffer zone if they ever get in there whack them and so they they issue five to ten tags a year in a unit with 15 to 20 goats right so Neil, that Neil, it's the Neil same thing. So, yeah, I, I think they were probably here, but not in the numbers that they are. You know, evidence would say any place that had high mountains. I mean, if you think about some of the places they are now, as far south as Wyoming, for sure, there's a pretty big gap right there. But not to say they couldn't have 
figured out a way to cross an ice bridge or whatever was back in, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. So. But here's the question though. Mountain goats don't transmit any diseases to bighorn sheep, do they? Not as far as I know, there was some studies done about aggressiveness on bighorn sheep. Yeah, oh, we, out-compete out and push them off good yes. forage. Yes. Or salt licks. Yes. And, and that's absolutely. So yeah, from a behavioral standpoint aside and, and habitat utilization, because goats can also be much more destructive to the habitat than bighorn sheep as well. However, is there not places in Colorado where it could support mountain goat probably better than it could support bighorn sheep? Now, the purists aside, I understand we can have an argument whether goats were here historically or whether they were not. And bighorn sheep always were. So bighorn sheep are better than goats because they're native in the bubble. We can have all that, 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 that ecumenical freaking debate there. But if we're looking at opportunities for sportsmen, not that this wildlife commission gives a shit about that, but could you have? more opportunities for goats if you just if like so like for instance for instance i don't remember what bronze issue was about goats in in uh holy cross because i don't think there's sheep over there are there holy cross would be like 13 i think s13 there's some sheep over there that's west think, side that's 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 west of minturn Highway 24 runs north-south there, runs into Highway I-70 I at Minturn, just west of Vail. Well, just south just south of there is 66. So, yeah, there's there's no sheep unit south of Eagle until you get into, like, that Aspen basalt. That right, area. right. So you can have goats. I, I, I'm not looking at it right now. You can have goats in, in Holy Cross. And just just have the have the tag numbers high enough to where you can keep the population suppressed, so you don't let it run off, let it run amok. But now you, you give out a whole shit pile more goat tags, right? Well, I don't know. Do I don't know. Be, I know. There's that. I mean, there's that. This is where there's really no right or wrong answers because it becomes down to a value set of the biologists trying to trying to manage well, then, both resources, but. I don't know if you were, you know, teasing me or making fun, but they do have G18 now, which is the Mount Holy Cross, and they do have brand new goat tags in there right now for three. So they, well, so they've extended, they've extended, they've extended it. So well, if they manage it for low population, and there's three, there's probably twelve goats in the whole unit. They're well, it, it, of them. it wouldn't surprise me because when I had my G17 tag. I spent the bulk of my time on that North line because I knew that there was a billion or two in there and that was big. Um, I ended up finding them on the North side of Mount massive, but when, when they blew out, they blew out and they just freaking headed out. It wouldn't surprise me there that they were over there. So it makes sense. But yeah. I don't know. I always kind of thought that, you know, it's like there was this all out war in some areas about mountain goats. And I'm thinking, I look at it as an opportunity for sportsmen. You know what I mean? Like what, like, why not, if we have a critter that is can can easily exploit a habitat where another sheep is not going to, because there was weight, there was never going to be sheep over there 
because there was way too many domestic sheep in that area. Way too many domestic sheep in that area. Way too many grazing allotments. So I was like, okay, well, if we can't manage domestic or we can't manage wild sheep here, well, what the hell is the problem with having a handful of goats running around the mountain that we can sell hunting licenses for? You know what I mean? Like, how about we support the sportsman? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> there, like you said, there's a couple of those. I don't think getting rid of, rid of all the mountain goats would be the answer for having more bighorns. And I don't think the hunter opportunity for mountain goats is actually a much, much higher percentage of the total population. I want to say we're killing five to 10% of the goat population every year as tag numbers go and sheep. It's like two or 3%. I was going to say probably down. Yeah. One, yeah. One. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask one last question, get your opinion on it and then we'll kill this one for now. And I need to, I've, I've got several to choose from. I'm just, Oh boy. I want to know how much, how much I want to tee you up. Now I, I, I want, I want to, I want to get your opinion on this. What do you think the longevity of or the future is for what I would call the Kuyu model? Where you have a private company decides to step up and just flat out bankroll entire conservation projects. Opinions. So there's more to that project than meets the eye. And it comes down to a little bit of there's another camo gear company that seems to be this favorite of certain sheep organizations and the folks does it, at Kuyu, does, it rhyme, does it rhyme with shitka yeah okay <laughs> and Kuyu felt like they were not getting a lot of time of day okay and i mean here's the deal they're an upstart they're small they're nimble they can make their own decisions. It's a lot like a small brewery in America where I want to brew a special beer and put a special label on it and sell it to a special group. Go for it. But the repercussions are they have to get the funding approved by the state organization. They're not a nonprofit. So I don't know what the paperwork looks like on something like that, but my guess is they partnered with a local not a national organization. So if Kuyu had a uh, request for project submission and we submitted a project with them. So they contacted all the NGOs and said, Hey, we're, we're going to throw some money at this. Do you, what do you have? And so we sent, we sent in a project. Now they are smart about it. They are using it as marketing. They're using it as we're doing good for wildlife. We're giving back X number of dollars to conservation. I got no problem with it. I don't care who gives it back or how you give it back as long as you're getting involved. And the best part about something like that is they're filming it. They're getting top quality usable footage. And you know, as well as I do, it's a numbers game on social media. It's a numbers game on who can tug at the heartstrings and get the best story out there. So I applaud them for doing it. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's smart move on their part. And I, I don't think it's bad for bighorn sheep at all. And I wear both kinds of camo. So it doesn't matter. 
So my my issue, I, I agreed. I have no issue with it at all. My issue with it is where the hell are all the rest? Like, why do we not have like First Light has their program where they go out and do volunteer days and and, and they they run it. It's I'm sorry, I love the First Light guys. It's it's small potatoes. Yeah, even though they're making a. Well, so to me, so Kuyu to me, this is this is going back years and years. I mean, Brendan Burns, who's the current CEO right. president that took over for Jason, he and I met on Bosite via the chat room forum, whatever. Well, he lo- he have, loves his chat rooms, yes, and have been friendly before he was who he is. And those guys were sheep nuts. Like Jason and Brendan were sheep nuts. So yeah, everybody wears their gear for whitetail. They got a waterfowl. What you know they have, but that's where their heart is. So I get why they're doing something specific for sheep, and I really don't think it's a bad. I don't think it's a bad play. That that's just where they want to spend their money. So good for them. No, I I, I agree. I just in this day and age where it is just nothing about the take. It, it's well, there's more and more. Whether you're talking about copper plated sixes, where you're talking, whether you're talking about Matt, or and it, the, it's growing in its popularity of the the killing for content, you know, discussion, which I was involved with months ago, year ago, or more. Um, it's well, let me let me flip that. Let me flip it around. With as popular as the hunting is conservation hashtag. And and the, the 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 sportsman community wants it to be. How in the hell do we not have more more organizations, more businesses, leveraging their marketing to this? You know, we we've got a lot of people that spend millions, multi millions of dollars a year marketing about just the take, the consumptive side of hunting, killing, killing, killing. That's great. At what point do we do we start championing those people that are putting back on the landscape? You know what I mean? And yeah, it's so good. Yeah, so Wild Sheep has a program right now, and I think this is exactly what you're kind of leading to, called Take One, Put One Back. And they did a study, Kevin Hurley, who's you know, sheep yep. biologist extraordinaire from Wyoming kind of put a number on it and he said you know if we're going to trap and transplant and grow a sheep it probably costs an agency or non-government agency like wild sheep or rmbs about five thousand dollars to put and keep a sheep on the landscape per annum so he started a program and basically a lot of these people that are going hunting that go on a, you know, high dollar hunt, whether it's guided doll sheep, stone sheep, whatever, after they get back, they are so moved by, you know, the experience, like we've talked about how awesome it is. They want to do something and they're doing these $5,000 tokens to wild sheep where that money goes to the next generation. That money goes to growing sheep. So, I mean, wild sheep does a ton of stuff. And that's another organization. I mean, I'm real fond of, you know, what they do. They they host the national organization event in Reno in January. And like, that's the place to go. If you, if you want to see some people spend some money, holy cow. 
Um, local on the ground, I think, is good. National, being a part of that big organization is good. I mean, obviously, I know people on the board of directors, the you know, chairman of the board, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, those are all good places to spend your money. And that's the thing that just is, it always boggles me. There's more, there are, trying to, I'm trying to articulate, I'm trying to think of how I want to articulate my opinion. Am I, am, okay, I'll just meet you. You go to a lot of these, all of them probably. Am I yeah. wrong? Am I wrong in my personal or public perception that there are more high dollar benefactors for sheep you can even, you can throw goat in there if you want but goat is not as like the sheep there's there are there are more high dot are is it would it be safe i don't know i'm just gonna point it out it seems like there's a hell of a lot more people that are willing to spend a just a stupid amount of money for a species that is like not many people are going to be able to enjoy it. Not it, a, a stupidly limited resource. It's it, where, I, here. here is, let me tell you why. Here, let me tell you what I think is the philosophy behind it. So when I think his name Gransel Fritz and Jack O'Connor coined the phrase Grand Slam. Grand Slam, for those of you listening, for North American wild sheep, Rocky Mountain bighorn, Desert bighorn, doll sheep, stone sheep. More people have stood on the top of Mount Everest than killed those four sheep. Documented. So that's how rare that experience is. I think what happens, and I may be one of these prime examples. Once I get in that sheep, it, once you get in sheep hunting and that sheep hunting gets in your blood, you're always looking for what's next. Many, many, many of the people that I know through Wild Sheep and through Grand Slam Club are unbelievably driven, self-made people that love a challenge and want to participate in the furthering of that species, whether it's any of the North American bighorns or North American sheep. So like the people that you meet at those things they are, you know, self-made, you know, car dealerships, guys that own 25 oil change places, guys that own, you know, they're people that are very successful in whatever walk of life they have picked. And when they spend their money, they want to spend it on something that they are very passionate about. And most of them, I mean, at, at the Wild Sheep Foundation, there is a thing on Friday night called the Less Than One Club. It's $25 to join. It's $25 to get in the door. I give away 30 kegs of beer and they give away six different sheep hunts. The people that are sponsoring the doll sheep hunt, the desert sheep hunt are these guys that have killed five or six grand slams or, you know, 10 different species, but they want to include and get others involved at the price point that they can afford. So they're giving back to get more people involved. And that's what's feeding this frenzy of applicants in the sheep world. People that didn't know they wanted to sheep hunt are applying because they're hearing a lot about it now. It used to be a lot smaller than it is. 
and it's just grown by leaps and bounds, you know, good, bad, or indifferent because of some of the stuff on social media. Yeah. You just don't see, and that's the thing is, is as fired up and passionate and just massive scale as elk. It's just not the same. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even hold a candle. Like, yeah, you'll, you'll have more people across the, I mean, I don't know how many chapters of Fanaz there are in Tennessee. You know, there's an east, there's an eastern chapter, and actually, I went to a board meeting in Boise of Wild Sheep, and one of the things they really want to do is make sure they have all the different states covered. So there's a Midwest chapter in the Upper Midwest. There's a Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. There's a yeah, but you got how many how many chapters of the Elk Foundation do you have in Kansas? Like, oh god, yeah. How many chapters do you have in Missouri? You know, you know what I mean, like. It's- my, my brother, my brother, my brother Jim in Connecticut runs one in Danbury, Bethel, Connecticut. Like we're talking. There you I go. Went, I went in February. Hundred people showed up. He made twenty five grand for Rocky right. Mountain Elk Foundation right. one night. And so there's as much as passion is there. You just don't see the same. I just don't yeah. see the same. It's it's just a different world, man. Well, it's it's easy. It's a lower barrier of entry to go on an elk hunt than it is to go on a sheep hunt. And more I people, know, but why does that translate into? I, I I know you got it's all the supply and the demand, and you know limited supply drives demand, and then blah blah blah. I I understand, but I'm just saying, it's just like there's like again, well, let's just round it back to let's Jen Saki back to the first statement of our first podcast of Jack O'Connor's statement. You're, you you the first time you do it, you are either you're either a sheep hunter or you are not. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. I don't know. I, for me, it's interesting for me. And, and I know that I have to feel, I feel as though I'm biased because of my first taste of sheep. But I will also say I, I lean heavier. I have zero, like your hunt and 51. I, I, I love that picture. And that, I like that whole, it's just, it's, it's just epic. I have zero zero desire zero john legnard calls me tomorrow I'm like dude i got a sheep tag you want to go up to the circles with me i'm like nope <laughs> i now meanwhile you say i have an s34 tag i've got a purgatory canyon tag for me sheep is canyon country and i and i don't know if it's just because that's where i cut my teeth on it I, I don't know, but for me, when I hear sheep, it's Canyon country. And if I had a choice, and again, I might, I might be biased because I was, I killed a smoker of a ram. So I understand I, I was fulfilled on what I wanted for, for my, my ram, my mountain goat. I had a freaking like Greg Brumfield had the tag with me and was in camp with me. And he even, he looked at the stinking goats. He's like, dude, those are top three of, of state records. Like th- those, nah. he goes that one. And there was one, there was a, it, it was, this is back. I don't remember when it was G 17 again, Mount massive North side of Mount massive. One of them was this polar bear, like the body size, even Greg, I, I don't know how, how many hundred goats, hundreds of goats that Greg has mounted over this career, but even he said, he's like, I've never seen a goat that big, like body size. 
you know, his horns were nice, but I mean, body side, he looked like a freaking Volkswagen bus on the side, just bright white bus on the side of the mountain. He goes, that thing is just insane freaking giant. And then next to him was your typical horse face. You know, Greg killed a nine, nine and a half, nine year old Billy, big old horse face on him. Just, I mean, just a big body. He was awesome. And wet, like 10 plus, like massive horns, just 10 plus inch horns. Just for, I mean, he was like, just caca, just horns, man, horns. And great. We sat there and did, he's like, dude, which one are you going to take? I'm like, I have like no idea because until I get there, do I want the, tro- do I want the quote unquote horn trophy and try to try to get into some record book thing in Or do I want this freak of nature that is just like, I don't even know how I'm going to like, <laughs> I don't didn't work out. Like, Greg's Billy showed up halfway down the camp, like, like from where our camp was, where the, sh- where the goats were, we were going to the next morning, all of a sudden this Billy shows up and walks right straight into us and me being a dumb, because I was told the hardest part of goat hunting is drawing the tag. Cause they'll just stand there and look at you. We decided to shoot his goat. Boom. We get his goat. My two. Woo! They're like Mach three out of the freaking Canyon up over the mountain, over the down out of the unit. Gone. I'm Gone. like, and I just spent three months every week. Camp, I was devastated. And, you know, Mount Massive, you're talking. I Well, so I had, long story short, two weeks later, I find this Billy. He's a four-year-old Billy. He's, you know, eight and a half inches or whatever. I mean, he's a, he's a Billy. But he ain't, he ain't a giant horse face adult Billy. So I am unfulfilled in what I wanted with my goat tag. So, but when I, I'll take a goat. Oh, if I was given the choice of a, a a mountain goat or a sheep, I'll take the mountain goat right now, knowing full well that I'm not even remotely in the in the shape that I should be or need to be to go back to the tippy top of the mountain. But for me, the tippy top of the mountain that's that's goat country, and I know for people like you, you look at it like, hmm. <laughs> that's 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 the sheep country. So it is. It's it's interesting because. In one way or shape or another, it will get in your freaking blood. But it's interesting to see where the different value sets in, like, just how it hooks you differently. I don't know. I don't know. You want to buy it? You want to buy a brewery? What do you got? So in in Phillips in Phillipsburg here, there was a guy that that started up. What do you what do you call it? I don't even. You, what, what's the smallest? You got nano brewery, micro brewery. Like what's the smallest? Nano would be the smallest, yeah. All right, so maybe this is a nano brewery, but or may, I don't I don't know what size he is, but anyway, started one here. He's got all the, the all the equipment. They do a good job. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's legit. He's they're they're cranking out pretty tasty tasty enough beer that's not a Coors Light. <laughs> anyway, they've got a restaurant attached to it, and yeah, all of a sudden the guy's like. Uh, too much stress. Shutting it down. Wow. I'm like, it's like the, it's it's the one well, place we have that's not just, you know. What's, mom the, name, and what's the name? Is, is it for sale? What's the name of it? I don't know if I don't know if it's for sale yet. It closes on the twentieth. It's it's Oz Brewery, Oz Brewer, Oz Brewing Company, or Oz Brewery. O Z, O Z. It's on. Check it out on Facebook. Yeah, seriously. And and the, and the the reason why I'm asking you is because I've been hounded about it because one of my land well, Alan, we were just talking about, 
he is trying to revitalize Logan here. And he knew that I was brewing beer. He's like, dude, you, ought, you know, we talked about it. I'm like, I had to freaking just open up something and just, just small batch, just, you know, just play with it. it and now this comes up and they're like, there you go, Chris. <laughs> there you go. Jump in. Uh, well, I can't, I can't help you in my current role as a consultant, but I tell people I could go hunting with you somewhere and we could talk a lot about beer. So See, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I, 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 it looks, I, it looks, it looks pretty neat. Kind of small final day, May 20th, neat building, good location. It's, it's phenomenal. I, and that's, it just breaks everybody's heart. They're like, are you freaking serious? We finally got a really nice, just good there. Cause they, they finally have good burgers and, and good. Uh, I mean, and they smoke their own. I mean, they, it, it's good. They, like, they just need, like, ah, uh, anyway, there it is. All right. Well, tell, tell me, tell me when it goes up for sale. We might have to work something out. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I think that if I, if my clock is correct, we're, we're pushing the other three hour mark, but. Oh yeah. No. And I sent you, uh, I texted you a couple maps of bighorn sheep, domestic grazing allotments. They're pretty colorful. They'll look good on your. Look good on your gram, and uh, I sent you a picture of Joe. Nice, you nice. Put him on there, and then uh, MRI scans with eight tumors in his head, so we can really freak people out if you want. There to you go. Why not? There. Well, I, I I posted pictures of. of... <clears throat> oh yeah, jeez, dude. <laughs> Golly, I you know, I. I do appreciate. I mean, you did a. Ah, don't we don't we don't need to revisit, yeah. man. I, I I missed I missed the man. Well, uh, all right, brother. Thanks for coming on. I always all right. Conversations. We'll uh, we'll stay in touch. We'll we'll have some more conversations coming up. But um, yeah, we'll do a, we'll do a little post post hunting wrap up. Maybe I'll have some good sheep and goat stories or whatever. So I don't know if I told you. So where can where can people find you on the the gram and the in the book? Uh, don't do the book anymore. Neither do book. I. Neither do I, and I don't miss it. So, okay, it's the gram. Uh, All right, Sam Brew, John Legnard. So my, my old handle from uh, back in the Bowsight days. S-A-N-D-B-R-E-W. John Legnard, underscore John Legnard. Not hard to find. Any 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 last-minute teases on what seasonal's uh, <laughs> coming out? No, we got our 12-pack uh, our is out in the Colorado area all all metros should have it so when does it hit the really good uh uh, we got a juicy ipa with uh, whole dried oranges got a blood orange pale ale and then two lagers one's just a craft lager which is really smooth and easy drinking with lemongrass and lemon drop hops in it and then the other one is uh um eclipse pilsner so it's made with australian new zealand uh fruity citrusy hops called Eclipse. So there's my, there's my beer plug. Nice. We're selling, we're selling a lot of beer right now. The other, some of the other competitors in the industry are having a little trouble this couple, last couple weeks. So huh. we're going huh. to do, we're, I think we're going to do pretty well this quarter. That's <laughs> huh. a, it's a, huh. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that, isn't that interesting how that works out? <laughs> so, all right. Talk all to right, you brother. later. Love you, man. Talk to you soon. See you, man. Bye. Later.